listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Glad to have you all with us once again, dear listeners and eardrums. I think this week's about revenge. I think that, you know, matches like Hogan versus Orndorff and Jake versus Steamboat, they're just built on revenge. For sure. A big change in Orndorff's storyline. He wrestled Adrian Adonis last time, and he was in the sauna with Mean Gene. Now he's <laughs> back in the main event, and we're glad. That's right. And as I think for a lot of people, like, a lot of people probably didn't even know about the big event. And for a lot of people, just casual fans at the time, this might be the first time they think that they're even touching. You know, like, if you're not somebody who's up on what the host show cards are, you might think that, like, Hogan hasn't had a single chance, and this is his first chance ever to get a crack at Mr. Wonderful. It is interesting. They'll show a clip of Jake versus Ricky in Toronto, and the finish, even. Yeah, that's right. But they don't show even a single blow or strike from the Hogan Orndorff. That's right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're totally right about that. I was, and to the point where I just was, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Creating the idea that Hogan's been waiting all this time to finally get his revenge, but he's been, they've been fighting for months. <laughs> that's right. There's been a lot of matches and we've covered some of them and we're going to cover more of them. And I think it's like really great, this idea that, that if you're watching that show on that night, and again, you have that limited access, and you're sort of maybe a young kid or just a, a casual fan who's not reading the inside. I mean, there wasn't really insider ma- information. There was magazines, but those magazines came out kind of after the fact, right? Any magazine back in the day is always reporting on something that's two or three months old. So even if you were an avid Bill Apter fan, you you still wouldn't really know the details unless you know unless you were knowing that, let's say, Orndorff and Hogan fought in your town. Like they had it already had a host show match in your area. That's maybe the only way you would know, you know, I think. You had, I know this, the copy of a Coliseum. You had a, so you had the big event. Oh, yeah. How long did it take you to get your hands on that? You know, I always think about that and I tried to look it up to see what the release date times are. So, for example, when WrestleMania 1 came out, how long did it take them to actually release it? And that's why I said I always think I saw Saturday's main event before I saw WrestleMania. Like, you know, I rented WrestleMania as soon as I could, but I don't think it was on, you know, I don't think that it was in video stores in May. I think it was later in the summer. So I'm thinking if it was an August show, it probably wasn't available for rent until October or November. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I forgot the old VCR on VCR. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for those of you, you youngins out there don't quite know how we used to do the things back in the day, but you had yourself one VCR and you had a blank tape in it, and then you had a second VCR, and you had your Coliseum video, and then you would be... Hook up some AV cables. <laughs> That's right. And then you could press play and record on the other machine, and then you That's had right. your very own copy. Exactly. Of the big event. <laughs> and that's Burning. All. Pirates. Wrestling pirates. Teenage That's how I pirates. built my wrestling empire of videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, McMahon. And anyone else who's listening who <laughs> thinks that's, you know, <laughs> I'm sure the time expired has expired on those, uh, Statute you know. of limitations. There you go. Sucker. <laughs> Okay, so this main event for Plus, me is... you were a juvenile. Exactly. I was just a little kid. Your Honor. <laughs> honor, Your, your honor. honor. I'm innocent. Hulk Hogan, Your Honor. Arrest him. <laughs> the guy who rented me the tape, it's his fault. That's right. <laughs> so I think these next three main events, meaning 
the October main event that we're covering today, the November main event that we're covering on our next two shows, and then eventually the January 87 main event, those three cards sort of are like this trifecta of Saturday Night's main events where I had them each of them on the same tape. So I would just play and rewind, play and rewind, play and rewind. I would just watch those three main events over and over. That is, I'm going to say, those three shows make up the wrestling that I've seen the most in my lifetime. I don't think anything else I had, I watched as many times as those three shows. I feel like this one and the next one, same for me. Probably um, uh, not much to add there. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really neat to go back and watch these shows again as much as I know about them, when you go as long as I have, because I haven't watched any of this stuff in 20, 30 years, and even when I sort of got into like rewatching old wrestling on the internet, I didn't really go back to my favorites. I went to the stuff, I was trying to find stuff I never saw. I was spending more time looking for that than going like, oh, hey, let's go watch the Saturday Night's event that I've watched 100 times. So even more time has now gone by, like, you know, an extra 10, whatever, you know, 12 years has gone by. So it's been a really long time, so it's really comfy, cozy, even though the file we're watching has some edits and some different music and kind of takes away a little bit of the, you know, that sort of nostalgia feeling where something's, you know, the audio kicks in memories. And when the wrong audio's there, (laughs) it doesn't produce the same memory. Yeah, because this should still be obsession, uh, these programs. Oh, absolutely. six, you know. Yeah, and even just, you know, Steamboat's got the wrong music, just stuff like that. It's a little disappointing when you can't get the thing, and it's my own fault for, you know, not having digital versions of what I used to have, and I'll tell the story about that one of these days, but... um, I think there's plenty of blame to go to the cheapos at WWE who won't pay the (laughs) licensing fees for all these songs. Yeah, I'm even surprised, too, that they don't, like, release more... Like, I have to think that WWE has more footage from the big event. Right? Like that edited version that they released on Coliseum Video, they had to get it down to two hours. I'm sure they must have another 20, 30, 40 minutes of footage from the ma- like parts of the matches they cut, maybe some interviews they didn't end up using, whatever it might be. Like you would think it would be sort of this idea that, like, hey, why don't they, you know, a few times a year release special episodes of like, you know, release these like, you know, bonus, like sort of director's cut, you know, whatever you want to call it, re release some of this content and release the full shows. I mean, in the case of WCW, the Halloween Havoc 1990 card, I think, was like a 90-minute video rental release. Now, fortunately, back in the day, that was a Kenny Cooperist satellite you know, recording, so I had the whole thing. But I, I remember reading it going, like, they're, they're, I think they cut like five matches off the card, and there's some pretty good matches they got rid of. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, And that's all they have on the network is the VHS release, the Turner release. They don't have the full card. And it's like, but they have, they own the library, they have it. <laughs> Let's hire some more workers here and get this stuff up. Everyone complains about it all the time. Well, did The Rock buy WWE? No, that didn't actually happen. Oh, no, it? no, no. They, they did this did weird merger with the, the company that owns the UFC or whatever. So it's all kind of a big conglomerate now. Because there's weird things happening out there in the world of wrestling yeah, ownership, yeah. or at least in the last year. I haven't been paying a lot of attention. Yeah, McMahon uh did something to make himself billions of dollars and right. spend and some not- and somehow stay in control, even though I oh. guess he's, yeah, sort of, yeah. yeah he's, okay. He took himself off TV for a while and then he was back on, no, not on TV, I should say, but sort of, um, you know, he took his hands off the wheel, let's say, and a lot of people were happy with that and thought things had gotten better on TV when it was more like Triple H's team of people having full control, supposedly, and then people said they noted, like, when there was a change in the board of directors that he, that McMahon orchestrated, that you could tell where he sort of, certain segments you're like ah that's a McMahon like that's you know <laughs> Vince is back <laughs> he's he's you know changing the directions and outcomes of things and you know people that were getting a push were no longer getting a push and all those things 
So one last thing before we kind of get in, you know, get on with our normal function is that we look around a lot. The history of wrestling for us is, you know, WrestleMania three, really like all of our childhood peaked WrestleMania three and affected everything after it. And Jeff probably doesn't even know this, but uh, the company AEW is coming up to a massive show in England at Wembley Stadium, and they have broken the, the WrestleMania three crowd attendance. And they are like they're and they're still they still have a couple of weeks left to sell a few more you know a few more thousand tickets. They might actually sell this place out. So this is this massive event taking place in two or three weeks uh, in Wembley Stadium. They've only announced one match. <laughs> wow! <laughs> but they've never even done ever done a card. Uh, you know, in Europe. So, like, this is wow. like, so I think they're drawing so many people who are traveling. Like, you know, What's this the match they announced. I believe it's MJF versus a guy named Adam Cole. And they sort of did this. I, I actually kind of, you know, I watched a lot of AEW since it started in 2019. And since the podcast has started, I've kind of fallen behind on being able to watch new wrestling because uh-huh. I'm like, I'm watching so much old wrestling, I don't have time to watch new wrestling. And the old wrestling's so much better that it's like, oh, why, do, why should I waste my time with this new wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> but the bits and pieces I've caught, they have this really funny storyline where MJF's character at the heart of it is like this kid who was never liked. And he's always got to, you know, he's sort of, he holds it against everybody that he was, you know, he was unpopular, and he he plays into his real life storylines, into his character. And at any rate, they brought up this thing where basically Adam Cole and MGF became best friends, you know, for several weeks, and they're like a tag team, and they're doing all these silly, goofy things that are getting a lot of really positive responses. So they've they built it up for several weeks, several weeks, and then now it's like they finally the the friend is, you know, it's not even this. I don't even I haven't watched. So I don't even know if it's a turn situation more so than just like, hey, this guy's been granted the title shot. So now these two friends are going to fight each other. And, you know, are they still going to be friends? And, you know, so, some silly comedy stuff. But MJF's a pretty good performer. He's pretty funny. So I think he's probably pulled it off pretty well. But I haven't seen any of it. And our man Ricky Steamboat made an appearance recently. He was a special referee at a CM Punk match. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, uh, I hope that event goes well for everybody it sounds i would uh, be interested in checking out the orange cassidy angle yeah yeah i think he's still a champ i think he still has whatever they call their little international something something champion yeah too many belts too many belts (laughs) and last local note is that uh, next monday the the big the big show is coming to town the monday night raw will be in winnipeg and there's uh, someone's floated the idea that there might be free tickets for Jeff and me to this show, but we're going to wait and see if that actually come, comes around. We would never go otherwise, but if somebody ha- <laughs> if somebody hands us free tickets, <laughs> then the legendary wrestling obsession will make That's an appearance right. <laughs> at Monday Night Raw. Suit up one more time, yeah. Put on the macho man gear and show everybody <laughs> what it's all about. Yeah, freak out. <laughs> okay. Let's get to our correction section, which I can't say properly, so let's get Jeff to say it with his Dusty Rose voice. We're talking about the correction section, Tully Blanchard. We're going to change your ways. <laughs> nice. Okay. Today isn't much about corrections. It's just more about omissions and things we didn't get around to, just kind of wanted to talk about. Going back to the big event, Jeff and I were really kind of super excited about this ref. This guy that was in the main event, the Hogan-Orndorf match, and how he involved himself, and he was just great. It was really (laughs) entertaining, yeah. So I reached out to the people at the Maple Leaf Wrestling Facebook group that I joined recently, which is growing by leaps and bounds. There's tons of people on that page now, and they're posting lots of great content. And so I went and asked there because I knew that they would know. You know, somebody there would know. And sure enough, like, you know, lots of people responded to me right away. Uh, So it's John Bonello was the guy's name. And he was a traveling ref, like I kind of assumed maybe he was a Toronto-only guy, but that wasn't the case. But here's the thing that blew my mind. He was a two-time NWA World Tag Team Champion. Oh, wow. Yeah, in 1980, with Randy Scott as his partner. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
and then he refed it in several you different. You didn't say junior, did you? Like lightweight? No. Okay. No, no, no. Just regular old world, tag? world tag team champs. Wow. <laughs> so What's that's this guy's name? John Bonello. <laughs> A 1980 NWA World Tag Team Champion. Yeah, and by 86, and he's never, a ref. He looks, when you look at him as a ref, he doesn't look like a wrestler. We have never heard of him. That's pretty crazy. We and he apparently, he, he refed at WrestleMania 3. Oh, wow. Like, I haven't watched that card in so long. There's certain refs that are just burned in your mind, well, right? they like, say their names you know, over and over. The Morella and the Hepner. Exactly, and they won't talk about the refs these days. The refs, they on TV, they don't, with WWE, they won't say the refs' names. They're just like these faceless, nameless people. But mm. back in the day, the refs were, you know, played a big role. Danny and Davis. Danny Davis. But Joey Morella and Maybe Hepner. Maybe more WWF. And, for, I'd say way for sure more yeah. than, than WWF. Tommy! Tommy! I mean, NWA had a, had a few, right? So, you know, like they had some pretty good refs. And, they had his own personality, but they didn't really do angles as like oh you yeah know, like yeah. the way Danny Davis oh of course yeah that's that's right? one of the only and and the, when you get into like later in the 90s I think yeah. WCW has their version of the heel ref for the NWO or something like that but I mean that's just totally copying Danny Davis is that idea right so um, so yeah, that's this John Morello guy. And so he was around more than we knew and we're, you know, we'll probably see him again. Actually, the weirdest thing I saw on his career list is he had a match in Toronto in 1984 against Billy Red Lions who by 86, I'm looking at him and thinking like, oh, he must have retired 15 years ago. <laughs> wow. So it's funny to think that Billy Red Lions was still wrestling in 1984. Yeah, that's uh, wild. I never did Google any of his matches, Billy Red. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, you know, I think I I have a new favorite promo, you know, with uh, <laughs> Billy Red getting oh, interrupted yeah. by Jesse <laughs> and Randy. Are you, you done yet? <laughs> I'll teach you how to work that mic, Billy Red. <laughs> uh, maybe Jack Towney will throw in. You ain't going to get a dime out of him. Ha! Nice. Okay, a few other things from the last show, the setup show for this one. Uh, so we had the Bulldogs versus Stud and Bundy, and then we wrapped things up with Stud and Bundy versus the Machines and Piper. Piper Machine. And Jeff had corrected himself basically in that moment where there was a spot that he sort of called in the Bulldogs match, which was actually from the Piper match, which is the, the dog leash almost kind of spot of Stud almost taunting Piper by allowing him to get yeah, there. So caught myself. Caught himself. So, yeah. But just if anyone's not curious or didn't know, we also talked about was Piper, like how much was he selling the injury? So I just went and looked at the beginning of the match and he definitely does have his leg wrap underneath his knee pad. So he's got really large knee pads on, but you can see the wrapping. But given that he's coming out on a crutch... <laughs> <laughs> on the Saturday night event, yeah. and then that morning at a you know at a show that's yeah. that's on TV, he should have been selling. I think he should have been limping, or maybe come to the ring with the crutch and put it down. Or I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I just know it. They that's one where maybe they blew their continuity a little bit. Yeah, or maybe they blew some cocaine up their nose. It's like <laughs> I don't feel a thing. Woohoo! Let's go. <laughs> so if if we think back to our first letter from <laughs> was it Hattori? Hanzo, was it? Hanzo thank Hanzo you. Hattori. So one of the comments he made was about sort of his dad sort of being like, look at that Irish whip and how fake it is and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So there was a spot I I wanted to talk about in the six man tag match where it was Davy Boy, Pedro, and Danny Spivey versus the Dream Team and Johnny V because there's a really funny spot at the end when Dan Spivey comes in with the hot tag and starts beating everybody up. He goes to whip Johnny V but Pedro and I, I think Greg Valentine are in the way or Beefcake or whatever so he's he's not supposed to whip him to the corner he's supposed to whip him off the ropes but the angle is you know he just I think Spivey just improvises and just whips him into the corner but Johnny V knows he's supposed to go to the rope so he basically like magic bullet he like he runs the corner he like he runs like an arc so that he can bounce himself off the ropes it's it's very subtle but when you watch it back a second time you're like that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen 
<laughs> yeah, well, you can't unsee it. Now that I, you know, I suddenly, I mean, like, now I'm with Hansel's dad. I'm yeah. like, the Irish whip has been a sham my whole life, you know, like, you can resist. You can go wherever the hell you want, you know, when, when the guy grabs you and throws you. You just right. run, you, you choose your own path. That's right. <laughs> So that, that uh, was a nice callback to that, I think. Um, but it was he was thinking on his feet, and uh, managed to go through with the spot, avoiding the collision, and uh, took the bump. I, I actually really like Johnny V in the ring. I like the yeah. way he takes beatings. Yeah, Arr! he makes those Arr! noises. <laughs> He's great. And his stagger, his drunken stagger, stiff leg. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, with the little stars and the... <laughs> Bells and birdies flying around his head. He's, it's, I find it in some ways similar to Captain Lou, except for that Johnny V can take the bumps, you know, like, uh, but he, he uses a lot of facial, because Captain Lou can't take the bumps, so he does everything with his face. You know, he uh, just, he's drunk stagger when he gets hit and, and facial expressions. Mm. Johnny, Johnny V does that, but then also takes the bump. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple more things. Jeff has always had a soft spot for uh, Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. And we kind of yeah. joked about like, you know, the only time he saw him in the WWE was like, actually in a jobber position getting yeah. squashed. But I did come across his initial entry and he actually had a televised match where he won a match against a jobber and used a, a belly-to-belly suplex. So, you know, he got a moment. And I also noticed he's on like uh, 86. I think he's on a couple of the uh, Great American Bash Tour cards where he's on one of the opening matches, like, but not as a jobber. He's like having a competitive match against someone else not very high up on the card. But, you know, he didn't go immediately from AWA to like jobber he like you know he bounced around and hmm. but was always maybe gonna have trouble getting back to that same level of uh, exposure because you know there was a lot yeah. of guys that looked like him and <laughs> he wasn't a giant and it was the land of the giants at that time in the you know in the 80s and yeah yeah he had that look the beard and the bleach blonde hair which was you know he could have been a fabulous one <laughs> with that sort of style but he was a smaller guy which I think because we talked about his struggles for the lightweight championship with Buddy Lane in Winnipeg that was so exciting yeah. So in our setup show, we had a couple of audio clips of early, early Honky Tonk Man, babyface Honky Tonk Man, coming to the WWF and threatening Paul Orndorff and trying to roll out as, as a true good guy, and it's quite funny. And one piece we didn't get to, which is maybe even funnier than, you know what's funnier than Honky Tonk talking like a good guy? That's Hulk Hogan <laughs> supporting Honky Tonk Man. So we're just going to listen for a second to a clip of Hulk Hogan and touch on that. Earlier on, expounding the virtues of the Honky Tonk Man, none other than the world's champion. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Shake, round and roll all over the WWF. No, this honky-tonk man, he's got it all together, dudes. This guy trains, says his prayers, and eats his vitamins, and I think he's going to rock and roll this whole WWF. Wow. You know, Monsoon, I know how you could solve the oil crisis in this world. Yeah, go ahead. Just drain his hair. Just drain his hair. Isn't that clever? We just heard some words of wisdom from your number one adversary. Yeah, shake, rattle, and roll. The, the Hulksters. Is he ready or is he ready? He's on his way out, pal, and Orndorff and I are on our way in. Highly unlikely. Big body slam. So I, I think it's just hilarious that Hulk Hogan's out there with the, the, the pom-poms cheerleading Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they did another... There was, I think that later on, they had a wrestler... And they called him Jim Morrison, and they had him in really psychedelic, weird, you know, I mean, like, he didn't actually sing any Doors tunes. So are you talking about, like, early 2000s or something, or? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think I know who you're talking he was about, a, yeah. Like, he, he, I mean, he was something to look at. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's been in the business for a long time. He was actually on a season of Survivor. Oh. And, uh, he, yeah, he did really well. Uh, you know, he got to the point where they started voting out the strong people, so then, he, oh. you know, he got voted out. But, I mean, right. he was quite charismatic, and he was really good at all those Survivor things, so. Right, well, Honky Tonk was... You know, an Elvis Presley gig, uh, homage, Elvis Presley homage. And then they did have this, there was, 
I guess it was, I don't know. He was a bit psychedelic, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, he went through different variations. He's, I think he's kind of maybe started as a tag team in the WWE with like was another he guy. Was called so Jim Morrison? They changed his names a little bit here and there, depending on what, what when he went into the independence. Yeah. I think like, I, you know, I, I, we'll bring it up on another correction section, but he has a lot I of names. I am the Lizard King. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, but he would do like, you know, he would do like the long fur coats and the funny sunglasses and his right. partner the same thing. And so M&M and they had a they had a female wrestler as their valet who was uh, could do the splits and they right. had quite the presentation. And like you said, I mean, he was quite the physical specimen to yeah, look at. Actually, you know? I thought this guy could go to the top, but I, I didn't really get enough of his personality, my yeah. skills or anything else. I just thought yeah. to look at him like, I was, whoa. Yeah, he could go in the ring and do mostly what everybody else was doing. And, and not too many people had his physique. So, he was, yeah, yeah. He was like this sort of Jim, like the, the door singer and He-Man. A- yeah, athlete. The, you know, <laughs> as an athlete. The, yeah, as an athlete, <laughs> as an ass kicking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So Honky Tonk. So Honky Tonk. He's got the Hogan's backing. (laughs) He's got the official Hulk Hogan. He's a Hulkamaniac. So coming up with our next show, the November show, uh, yeah, there's going to be more of this weird weird start to the Honky Tonk Man and his babyface run. (laughs) It won't last long, but uh, it's there. So we'll find some ways to touch on it. as well. He's got shiny pants with suspenders, and then later he'll have just sort of regular long tights. That's right. And I think he starts with like a a fist drop as his finisher instead of like off the second rope instead of of no shake, rattle, and roll yet. (laughs) And she's just like, he stole his cousin's finisher, and here he is. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Jerry Lawler. Okay. It's what you've been waiting for. It's the Science Man event on October 4th in Richfield, Ohio, or somewhere, wherever they are, near Cleveland. <laughs> Jesse doesn't like Cleveland, so he gets in lots of pot shots. So that's pretty funny. Here we go. Let's hit those NBC chimes and get on the road. America, I'm back. Yes, indeed. Jesse the Body is back with a new look and the start of a new season of Saturday night's main event. And of course, the pleasure will be all yours. So we got Jake in his swim trunks and Damien under the shower. And he is reminding us that tonight is another snake pit match. And as always, he's collected, but he's actually, this time he's got a little bit of fire under him. Usually he speaks quite low. And this time he's telling everybody the DDT will once again take out Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, it's neat seeing, I don't think we've ever seen anybody in a shower before on these reels. And this reel is like the classic reel of the quick beats. Like we go through several people. Sounds so, like the original music too. Yeah, a little bit. I do I do think either that or they took something we're so familiar with and stuck it in there that it made us feel like it was. <laughs> From there we see... Johnny Valiant, when he's got the dream team behind him, and won't say too much about it, but it, there's this little line of, uh, oh, he talks about how the British Bulldogs are full of the British woo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> and then they, Beefcake and Valentine do this forced. And tonight, we'll, we'll send those dogs to the power. Oh, yeah. Then we have a segment of the wizard and his scarred forehead introducing a returning Kamala. But we'll get more into that when we, uh, when we get into the match, so we'll skip past that. And then we'll get to the point, which is, our man Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, with Bobby Heenan with their backs to the camera in front of a three-way mirror. And they're talking about the match that night. And number one, that man is the next champ. And then Orndorff says, and number two, and he turns around and points at the camera, is the man who left Hogan laying in the middle of the ring. And then Heenan says, number three, is the only real American. (laughs) So they're doing this great. (laughs) And that's where Orndorff calls Hogan a crybaby. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Nice. And of course, we have to hear from the man himself, the world champ, Hulk Hogan. 
Tonight's the night all you Hulkamaniacs have been waiting for. Tonight is the night that no good Benedict Arnold, Paul Orndorff, is going down. You sold out, Mr. Wonderful. You sold out over jealousy. You had it all, man. You had those little Hulkamaniacs training with you, eating their vitamins with you, saying their prayers with you. Well, tonight it's all over, man. What you gonna do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? So they bring us into the arena, and we got McMahon. It's Cleveland, Ohio. Jesse tells McMahon that he's that he saw the last main event, and he thinks that McMahon is nothing without me. <laughs> if the show without Jesse is he's nothing, and Jesse also confirms that Piper must really be hurt because he's one of the toughest guys in the, in the business, and he you know he's not faking like other people. So then we go to an interview with Mean Gene in the back with a rowdy Roddy Piper, a defiant. Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. He's chewing a towel and he's already broken a sweat. And Mean Gene is explaining that the doctors have prohibited him from taking part in the match tonight. Piper's incredulous and he basically says, you know, I don't care what the doctor says. You want the doctor? Go deliver somebody's baby. I ain't no baby. I'm going to do what I want. (laughs) And sure enough, nobody can stop the red hot Rowdy Piper. So that's going to take us to our opening match, which is often the case with Saturday's main event. It is the main event. And the reason that everyone is here... It's Hulk Hogan defending against Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. And of course, they're going to show us the highlights of the pile driver from the clothesline heard around the world. And then we get into a, a Hogan promo. He feels betrayed by Orndorff. <laughs> and then for a second, it's interesting because Orndorff has been getting cheers. And he says, yeah. and I got something to say to all those people that are cheering Orndorff. I'm going to set you straight. And then he's kind of like, <laughs> hey, you. Uh, uh, anyway, Hulkamania forever. And it, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. But Interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> From there, we slide out to uh, a hallway interview where Gene catches up with Paul Orndorff and Bobby Heenan as they come through a door. That's right. Well, actually, it's his, um, even Bobby Heenan gets brushed aside yeah, that's right. by Mr. Wonderful, you know, so he, he wasn't afraid to give Bobby a little, you know. <laughs> Shove here in there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he comes through the two of them and kind of like, he's telling Hogan, you're a big liar. And I'm going to take that tongue, rip it out of your head, and put it on my championship belt. <laughs> yeah. Pretty graphic. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I do love Bobby Heenan. He's like, that albino ape, he's a liar. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's before Orndorff thre- threatens the uh, the bodily harm. <laughs> that's right. Rip that tongue out. And then Gene is saying, well, you know, very well, uh, are you stealing Hogan's music? And, of course, they are. <laughs> Mr. McMahon is saying, well. They could very well steal the title, but I'd like to point out that Hulk Hogan stole that music from the U.S. Express. That's right. <laughs> so who's, you who's know? stealing from who here? That's right. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so, yeah, these are all the promos leading up to, you know, one of the Saturday Night's main events that I remember the best because I also had this recorded and watched it many, many times. And in previous shows, I've talked about this, how sort of like their initial Saturday Night's main event and then as we went through the rest of 85 and, you know, into this 86 that they weren't coming out the way I remembered them. I remembered them being like this one. This is the classic opening of Saturday's main event where there's like five or six segments. They're all very quick and we keep going because the earlier ones, a couple of times there's only two segments or there's like, you know, maybe Mr. T on his own, you know, like whatever it was. And then they finally, had, I think they had the one episode where there was maybe four promos and it kind of felt like, okay, they're finding their, their footing here. They're finding their groove. And then they went right, then that's the next one where they went back to just one with Mr. T. And so I think this is going forward. I'm pretty sure they kind of stick to this format format which is like hey this is we're gonna we're gonna have at least one person from each of the matches have a little a little beat yeah this is perfect 
Yeah. And this is for people that don't know. This is back in the era when the promos were not scripted. So when you watch TV, the you know, the guys were given bullet points. They knew where they had to go. They knew the kind of time they had. But for the most part, they were speaking in their own words. Saturday's main event was a little bit different. These opening promos were actually scripted by uh, NBC because of the, the time restraints of it. They needed they needed things that needed to hit in these sound bites, these like five second, 10 second, thir- you know, 15 second sound bites. Wrestlers are used to like two minutes or something, three minutes, right? So, and, but Jesse was the one person who refused to, <laughs> to go off a script. They tried to like make Jesse have a, a scripted thing as he was going to say during the match. And he was just like, no, I, that doesn't sound like me. So I'm not going to say it. Uh, I, I wonder to what degree they were able to rein in Piper as well. well. That, uh, for sure, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm assuming he's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean maybe the other interviews. I really just meant the opening sequence, you yeah. know, because like, they're, they're sort of planned out, you know. Even well, okay, yeah, yeah. Like two, yeah, exactly. They're, in, that, in which case, yeah. Where yeah. Piper's playing with Jesse at the Halloween one with the blowing the feather and that kind of stuff. Right. Like, maybe that was scripted. Who knows, right? So, okay. Well, Real American's hitting and we got to get to this big match. That's correct. So we think we're going to get an interview with Hogan from Mean Gene, but Hogan's all business. He <laughs> picks up poor Gene and puts him aside. And poor Gene looks like he doesn't have his balance too well. I'm oh, thinking, geez, yeah. Yeah, I think he might have fell on his ass, you know. Oh, no. yeah, I know. Takes a bump, Mean Gene. That's right. And so Hogan's going to the ring, and they got the same music. Real American continues to play. And Jesse says, I think the crowd's about 50-50 here. <laughs> That's a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, it doesn't sound as pro-Orndorff as the Toronto crowd did. Yeah. Um, he's got the white trunks tonight, Mr. Wonderful, and I mistakenly said, oh, it's time for my own self-correction section. <laughs> he didn't actually spell it O-N-E-D-E-R-F-U-L. Oh, I, he I, used a number one. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 would, I would have corrected you if I actually heard you say that. I didn't yeah. hear you say that. Well, yeah. good. I'm glad you weren't listening because <laughs> <laughs> I know that I did say that, but he would uh, spell it someplace. I heard you proper. say it, but it didn't register that you didn't say the right thing. It was yeah. like it sounded like you said the right thing. Well, yeah. his robe says Mr. Wonderful W-O-N. Yes, yes. And yes. then his tights have uh, the digit. Yeah, the number sign and the yeah. one. Yeah. Hashtag one. Durful. <laughs> yeah. Durful, yeah. Durful. Okay. So anyway, that's what he's got. He's got his trunks on. Mr. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. I do got to say, I do notice the right bicep is smaller. Yes, yeah. So uh, he's. Yeah, there's no notations when you look at the matches. It doesn't say like, "Oh, Orndorff is hurt here." It like, and you know, I, I've never read anywhere where it specifically says this is the match where he got you know the bad clothes, you know, the clothesline that hurt him uh, from Hogan and blah blah blah. It just you start to notice it. It's not as stark as it gets, of course, but it's the, it's the beginning of it. A clothesline hurt Orndorff. His neck. His yeah. neck. Yeah. And then he had some kind of surgery on his right arm. Well, no, he 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 no. didn't take the time off he needed to oh. get the surgery and heal it, and then it, his his arm atrophied. Right, sort of a similar thing that happened to Arn Anderson in a different way, like with his hand and stuff like that. Okay, from a neck injury, sort of. You know. Wow. Yeah, he's making too much money on those house shows. You know, if he would have, like we talked about in our yet to be released Orndorff special <laughs> Patreon, uh, we talked about that. Is the idea that like you know had he had Mister Wonderful taken the time off in the summer of '86 or whenever exactly this happened, take the months off paused the feud so to speak who knows what you know they, they probably, probably wouldn't have had the, the issue he ended up having with his arm mm-hmm. would have changed the how his career ended up going his, he had a great career and he made a lot of money off this feud but maybe he could have had both. Well, he's still able to put on an incredible show tonight, that's for sure. And all throughout the summer and, you know, for the next couple of years, he's not going to go away. In the ring, Hogan can't wait to get at him. So he basically laces his fingers together and he's going to club Paul Orndorff with a double axe handle (laughs) smash. Orndorff is really quick. He ducks under it and Hogan winds up in the corner. Orndorff gets the first shot. 
The but, bang. Yeah. And he punches Hogan, and Hogan's not quite hurt, but there's so much kinetic energy that he's just, like, taking the shots. And I think it's not until he lands his fourth punch that Hogan just stares at him. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong what you saw. This is how I kind of see it. In the big event match, Orndorff's there to, like, stand up to him and fight him and show him that he's the better man. This one, he seems like he's maybe playing a bit more of the idea of the heel that, like, knows he has it coming to him and is sort of avoiding the fight a little bit at first. Actually, maybe through the whole ring, because Hogan has to follow Orndorff into the ring, out of the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you put it that way, hmm, yeah, Orndorff does a bit more like, I I don't want to tangle with you in this this booking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Having said that, Orndorff gets incredible amounts of offense. (laughs) Of course, yes. So so settle down, folks, or, you know, settle in. (laughs) Settle in. (laughs) Settle down and settle in and settle up. (laughs) <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of action in the ring. So Hogan just stares at Orndorff after that fifth punch. Uh, he, he blocks, after the fourth, he blocks the fifth and retaliates with his own punches. One, two, three, four. Hogan bounces off the rope for the big fifth punch and Paul Orndorff hits the mat and the crowd is just going crazy and Hogan gets to ape for everybody because here it is, their yeah. first actual look at Hogan getting his licks in on Orndorff after the... As far as many people know. <laughs> that's right. So they're crazy for it. Bobby Heenan is immediately on the apron. I mean, this is practically a tag team match. Exactly. He's so involved yes. in this. It's, it's, it's amazing. And uh, it doesn't work out too well for Hogan. Actually, this one is, I mean, later on, I mean, he takes a lot of beatings. In this particular case, Hogan is distracted and Paul Orndorff, with a running clothesline, drops him to the floor. Was that the Heenan fishing in his tights a la no, Macho Man? Later. No, okay. Yeah, that's coming right up. Okay. But I always remembered Jesse saying, Hogan falling for it like the dummy that he is. (laughs) Outside of the ring, Paul Orndorff is kicking and hammering away at Hogan. And then he tries to bash his head into the apron. But Hogan blocks it and bashes Orndorff's head into the ring. And this is kind of like what you were saying. Orndorff's like, okay, I want in to the ring. I don't like this anymore. And Hogan has to follow him. So, yeah, yeah, the booking is much more like Orndorff trying to get away from Hogan because Hogan, whenever uh, Hogan is able to turn the advantage his way. Uh, Stall tactics by the heel until it's to his advantage to engage. Now, this is actually amazing. I don't really recall this. Hogan gets in there and delivers some woo Ric Flair-worthy chops. The oh, sweat right. flies yeah. off yeah. of Orndorff, yeah. and then, like, Hogan's big, long, lanky arms just, like, cover a lot more distance, and I'm like, wow, they looked crazy. Yeah, like they yeah. they were going to take Paul Orndorff's pectorals off. <laughs> so a couple of those big chops, which we don't usually see. I think he used them on Bundy, too, like, a lot. Like, if I'm thinking oh. of WrestleMania 2, I, I think I'm visualizing some chops okay. in, in, the, in the cage. Ah, I didn't actually to go back and watch yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't watched it for years either. either, yeah. Orndorff eats a fist and does his fabulous rubber legs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just, yes. like, bold there. They, it's so funny, he probably only, is only about, like, five, six when he's, because he's got his Exactly, legs, so, he's totally bent. Yeah. He's the it, drunken sailor. <laughs> oh, it's really funny. Uh, he gets his face into the turnbuckle, and he goes for a walk, shake it off, but <laughs> just walks to the other corner and gets another, his face in that turnbuckle. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Orndorff, like you said, the drunken sailor, the facial expressions, the kind of like, <laughs> and like trying to, <laughs> he's fantastic. I'm just really um, enjoying it again 30 years later, or I guess 35. Jesse Ventura is complaining, hey, he's got a pretty face. The ladies aren't going to like that, you know. A lot of them are here to see Mr. Wonderful. We don't want to see that face hitting the turnbuckle. <laughs> Hogan delivers a headbutt and an Irish whip into the corner, which he follows up with a clothesline. Classic Hogan offense. Now. Oh, Heenan's back, back up on the apron fishing right, his right. tights yeah, like Macho yeah. Man. Uh, but it's not going to work out well for Heenan this time because <laughs> Hogan just comes over and p- 
punches him with a huge clocks him. <laughs> Blast him. Yeah. And Hogan Heenan, you know, spits, does a spit take, and there's just saliva <laughs> flying. Like his teeth are, it, uh, it's great. However, Heenan has successfully taken Hogan's attention from Orndorff, and when Hogan turns around, Orndorff gets a punch in the throat and That's gets right. to retain the advantage. And Jesse says, he got the job done. <laughs> Took the punch to sucker that big dummy. So Hogan is on the mat after that punch to the throat. He gets kicked to the head, and we have a Paul Orndorff running pointy elbow where he kind of braces and, you know, tucks in his, his forearm and elbow close to his, his body yep. and then, you know, uses the point to strike. And it's all the more devastating when he bounces off the ropes to, to do it. Yeah, when a lot of guys drop an elbow, it looks like they're really landing more on the back of their, you know, the tricep, the, bice, the side yeah. of the bicep or something. And then Orndorff, like you said, he just really like, you know, ra- razor point. <laughs> Sharpen that elbow. <laughs> So Orndorff starts to drag Hogan out of the ring, but only does that thing what we saw in the Jake and Ricky match where he just exposes his head. So, you know, basically <laughs> Hogan's lying in the ring until only his head is sticking out. And this, it, it, it always looks super scary when, yeah, when, yeah. when somebody's in that position. And so Hogan takes some damage with his head exposed out of the ring. This leads to Hogan spilling out over the timekeeper's table. And I mean, Hogan's just such a big man that he's taken down two or three people as well as the timekeeper's right. bell and probably some... Uh, monitors and uh, well there's microphone cords and that's useful because Paul Orndorff comes over and starts strangling Hulk Hogan oh I know what I was thinking cord. of man like when I saw this when I rewatched this last week I was like maybe this is Jeff's memory of the Piper Orndorff choking each other well it was you know a what wrestling I mean? magazine <laughs> oh yeah, okay yeah yeah I saw a photo you know it was a, yeah. a photo wrestling magazine you're probably right but it yeah. just re- reminded me of you searching and hunting for right. that that look wondering for that you know like yeah. wanting to see Orndorff choke Piper well here's Orndorff choking mm. Hogan <laughs> right right well Jesse's got some pretty good <laughs> quips in here he's like look he's trying to get him to sing his anthem <laughs> And Hogan, uh, when he's getting beaten up, he he looks like he's crying. He does look like oh, a yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <He's> a... <laughs> he looks like a crybaby when he's taking all this pain and punishment. <laughs> Should have stuck to music. Mm-hmm. Hogan tries to get into the ring, but Orndorff gives him a flying knee to knock him back to the ground. Jesse says, hey, you got to watch Hogan when he's out there. He's liable to pick up a foreign object or something. <laughs> after he's been choked, you know, with the microphone cord. <laughs> they point out. That there are 20,000 fans there. Oh, yeah. Here's a awesome. Look at Hogan's trying to pin the timekeeper again because he's basically on top of Mel <laughs> Phillips. Right. Yeah. So Hogan really has been, he's been taking a lot of punishment. He's really in trouble. He does get back into the ring. Orndorff drives his head into the mat. And then he rakes his bootlaces across Hogan's eyes. And he knees him in the throat. And he bounces off the rope and puts the knee in there and keeps it right there. Come on, Raph Vince complains. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jesse's saying, I think he'd be a perfect idol for the kids. That's right. <laughs> hey, no one cheats more than Hogan does. I mean, <laughs> why can't a bad guy be the champ and an idol if Hogan be, can be an idol? Good point. We haven't seen a wrestling move in a little while, but... Uh... <laughs> Orndorff has been working Hogan's throat and head throughout this match, so he uh, keeps punching him in the throat, and he gets a two count, or a two and a half count, according to Jesse. Orndorff stands up Hogan and bites his forehead before giving him a big high vertical suplex and another two count. And he's booting Hogan in the head. He goes for an Irish whip, but Hogan gets a reversal. Uh And he hits him with a high knee and body slams Paul Orndorff. 
So now the crowd's getting really excited. Hogan bounces off the rope now that he's got the advantage, but Bobby grabs his ankle, <laughs> allowing Orndorff to bounce off the rope, charge Hogan. But Hogan ducks and Orndorff goes over the top rates and he's rope. He's eliminated from the Royal Rumble. <laughs> but it's not a rumble, so the match is not over. Hogan is jazzed as Orndorff and Bobby are spilled out on the floor. And now we have these four police officers come in and they literally each grab a limb and pick up Bobby Heenan and <laughs> take him what backstage. A, what a sight. You know, yeah, like it just the, the visual of it all, of him yeah. being carried out that way, is just hilarious. What does Jesse say? Something like, like I want these no rent a cops. <laughs> Hogan had these rent a cops hired his plan all along. This is this is ridiculous. Paul Orndorff needs Bobby Heenan out there to help him. <laughs> So he gets taken back. We cut to commercial and we come back and Bobby Heenan is on the other side of some doors and he's trying to, hey, hey, Flatfoot. Hey, Barney. I got to get back out there. <laughs> bang, 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 bang on the bang, window. Bang. Yeah. yeah. So we love it. Do you hear me? <laughs> I got to get so out So good. <laughs> and now back in the ring, Orndorff is not without his tricks. And it's time for a sucker chase. So Orndorff <laughs> is running around the apron. Hogan is chasing him. When Orndorff gets back in the ring, he's quick to turn around and knee Hogan as Hogan is climbing into the ring. So now Orndorff has the advantage and he goes back to working the throat and using his pointy Paul Orndorff elbow. He's choking Hogan. The uh, ref is counting him. Actually, now we see that um, we're pretty far into the match. So Orndorff shoves the ref off. That's dangerous for him. That's right. You want to win the belt or not? That's right. Orndorff body slams Hulk Hogan, drops an elbow, and gets a two count. And at this point, they're discussing what might happen if Orndorff actually wins because, you know, he's Hogan's never been in this much trouble on Saturday night's main event, I don't think. He's never looked quite so ass-whooped. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm just, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh, tag match, tag match, singles, we roll off, through, yeah. yeah. Terry Funk, yeah, no, no, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. It's the, this They've is the never most, made him look as yeah. close to defeat. The right? worst he would have looked is in the Andre tag match with the Stun Bundy when Andre was tied up and the Stun Bundy could have, <laughs> could have yeah. killed Hogan if they chose right. to. Of course, the difference there being that his title's on the line, right? Exactly, so that this could yeah. be a title yeah. change. If it really, and if you're, you, yeah, so it's, it's, just peak excitement. And this McMahon is saying, well, perhaps if uh, Hogan were to lose, he, he might shake his hand. <laughs> Which was the angle back when back in the day, yeah. was turning face. That's that right. they would Hogan would win a match cleanly and Orndorff would shake his hand. That's right. We now, in the ring, get to the famous betrayal spot being played over again, <laughs> which is Orndorff standing up a battered Hogan yes. only to give him a big clothesline, almost a Georgia whip, but yep. not really. Yeah, yeah, a little different. Because he's got his... He's, he's holding the arm. To yeah, he's give holding the one look. arm just so that Hogan can't get away and then gives up just a devastating clothesline. Yeah. And then... He gives the signal to the crowd. That's you right. Know, putting his hands up and then kind of bringing them down to his, you know, his, yeah. the pile driver. Sends he's going to drive it down. Yeah. So th there are people who want to see this. Of course. So Orndorff stands up Hogan and he does a kind of a sort of side to side thing. It's like, I don't know, softening him up. <laughs> and then he sticks Hogan's head between his legs, puts his arms around Hogan's waist and goes to lift Hogan off the ground. But instead of Hogan's boots going into the air, Orndorff gets stood up and it's basically a back body drop and the crowd goes wild because Hogan does not take the pile driver. It's good. Cause then we would have had to have seen something we didn't want to see. <laughs> Paul Orndorff hits Hogan, but Hulk is up. He freezes. He gets a hit. He starts shaking and quaking. And he's hitting, hitting, hitting. Another hit. Freeze. Then the hit comes that he blocks. And then Hogan delivers three right hands before he whips 
Orndorff and delivers a reverse elbow. Two more right hands and Orndorff is on the ground. And now Hogan is just, he looks about 18 years old. The light in his <laughs> eye, like there is a, Hogan loves it. And the crowd loves him. And there is a joy in his face where, yeah, yeah. you know, just like 20,000 people screaming for him. So yeah, there's a, there's a certain little sparkle that Hogan has in his eye. For as sure. he's now going to the clothesline that hurt around the world spot. So he's going to stand up Orndorff and give him a little Georgia whip clothesline clobber him. <laughs> yeah. And now Hogan like smiling, loving it, playing to the crowd that he's going to pile drive Paul Orndorff. That's right. So he does the same symbol, a little gesture that shows he's going to pile drive him down to the mat and he gets Orndorff up and then huh, a, a big pink mass and uh, Adrian Adonis runs, some kind of fat right. sweat hog runs into the ring. What is this? Is that a... And it's because it, right out of the crowd over the railing, like not yeah. down not down the aisle way. No. Like, you know, Adonis like... was in the front row Yeah, and he goes in there and he breaks up the pile driver and jesse i guess he's not happy with the new direction because he's like what is that kind of some some fat sweat hog and i can't believe hogan just hit an old fat woman because uh hogan, you know adrian hits hogan and then hogan hits adrian and of course jesse's just playing dumb yeah but this is now orndorff and adonis start to work over hogan yeah because hogan's choking adonis in the corner and orndorff comes in from behind with that nice knee in yes. the back Yes, that's the reliable. That's the way to. Yeah, you don't advantage. turn him around and let no. him block your punch. Hey, guess what? I nail, nail him with a knee. That's right. Piper comes down to ringside because earlier I forgot to mention we saw the footage of Morocco and Adonis and Jimmy Hart injuring Piper's yeah. leg. So that was part of the uh, first two minutes of yeah, the show. Exactly. Yeah. Or whatever. Now Piper's coming down on the cl- uh, on his crutch, and you know we've already seen. We know yeah, it's, why. It's not crutches. It's single crutch. He's like he's hopping quick. He's run. He's run crutching. <laughs> That's right. Crutch running. So he uh, gets into the ring and gives Adonis a shot. It kind of hits him in his arm. And I remember at the time, even though I didn't know, I mean, even though I knew wrestling wasn't real, I sort of believed that like, ooh, it did look like the crutch hit him in the elbow or a bone as opposed to across your back with all the meat where. <laughs> yeah, it, like it seemed it like it got, you. it didn't even get him in the bicep. It got him, seems like right on the elbow. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was it, the timing of it too, because like. Adrian's somehow spinning off of something Hogan did to him. So he yeah. kind of, and Adrian doesn't see it coming, you know, like yeah. he just spins right into it. And I think the, what do you call it? Like the little padding thing that goes underneath your armpit. I think that flies off at the exact, that exact moment, which is sort of like this extra visual effect of, you know, the yeah. crutch doesn't break, but that, that thing coming off makes it seem like it's, you know, such a hard impact that it's so shattering. He whacks Adrian with the crutch. He takes a good shot. Hogan throws Orndorff at Piper Piper winds up like a baseball bat Whoa. and Orndor ducks it, misses yeah. him. Could have, could have been killed. <laughs> and uh, But Piper swings so hard, he basically does a 360, and by the time he's turned around, there's Hogan. He takes a swipe at him. That's I right. I love it. And uh, Hogan's got to duck that. Yeah. And uh, But this time, the 360 basically plants Piper on his ass because of yeah, his Yeah, yeah, the leg. momentum falls him down. Yeah. yeah. So he's on the mat, and Hogan's ready to fight. You know, he's yep. got his fists clenched, and this is awesome excitement because you didn't want it to just be like, oh, they're best of friends. Nope. nope, they are not. I think Hogan even kind of grabs his hair like he's going to punch him, but oh, then like, yeah, but then he kind of, then he, then they both kind of like, yeah, totally does. They kind of, you know, they back off a bit. He, he doesn't actually deliver the blow. Yeah, and I think that's where Jesse's like, well, "What is this? These guys don't like each other." Like he doesn't. He's so Whack upset. Him, Roddy. Yeah, exactly. Whack him. Yeah. But Piper gets to his feet. He's got his crutch, and he throws the crutch down. He won't fight Hogan. 
Yeah. So Hogan, you know, kind of gestures to the ref like, oh, give him his crutch. But Hogan wants to cheer for the crowd, or, or rather pose for the That's crowd. Right. The crowd wants to cheer his victory by disqualification over Paul Orndorff. Yeah, we have happy Hulk Hogan fans screaming and going crazy. And now they've seen a potential alliance with Roddy Piper. So these are good times to be a Hulkamaniac. Yeah, this is uh, such a big angle. And when you think about all the stuff we talked about last show with Adonis and how important he was to everything for him to come in and be like the sort of the the finishing role of this match and how this match comes to a conclusion. It's he again is just playing such a big part. You know, he doesn't have a match on this card, but he's, he's looming large over everything that has to do with the main event scene in WWF in 1986 in the summer and and, and into this fall, you know, he's a part of, if you're part of Piper's story and you're part of Hogan's story, well, then you're, you know, you're right at the top, top of the card. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, we won't, he won't be around for a long time. I'm afraid Adonis, but uh, he certainly is integral. That's right. Next, we're going to get to the Snake Pit match. Now, it's interesting that they call it a Snake Pit match because we found out in Toronto that a Snake Pit match was essentially a no-DQ match minus the Lizards because we didn't think they could get across the Canadian border. So this time, we're going to have the Lizards, so it makes it maybe more appropriate for to be a Snake Pit match, but they don't make any mention of it being no-DQ, and I don't think it is no-DQ. I think it's just a normal match that they called a Snake Pit match because they got a couple of reptiles. I suppose so. So we've got a couple of promos, of course. So first, we're going to go out to uh, Mean Jeans back in the shower with uh, Jake Roberts again. And Jake's still wearing the short trunks, which he doesn't wrestle in, which makes, you know, kind of gives away that this is earlier in the day. You know, this isn't moments before he's coming out to the ring. So Jake's actually already on his way to the ring with his snake bag. And then they, they take you earlier to Gene and Jake in the shower with Damien. So it's a similar look, except for this time Gene's in there with them. And of course, he's, Jake the snake, what are we doing in the shower? <laughs> Mean Gene doesn't want to get wet. <laughs> Jake's great answer is, because this is my time. You asked to talk to me. I didn't ask to talk to you. You needed a Damien. So, as Jeff says, cool, calm, collected. Slides in a few, you know, a few good lines. It's really good. They get the flashback, of course, to the May main event with the DDT on the concrete. Not the cement. The concrete. Ah, <laughs> bravo. But then we also get the big events highlights. And Mean Gene asks him about that. And Jake says... I don't ever recall that happening. <laughs> Just, do you? It's like, that's the NWA thing, right? Just like, like that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So then we, they show Ricky Steamboat coming out to the ring, and he's got his own bag this time. So everyone's used to seeing Jake bring out a bag, but this time Ricky Steamboat's got his own giant green duffel bag. And there's this really bad Steamboat music playing instead of that uh, Chicago Bulls Ricky Steamboat. I, I think once you referred to it as like some kind of, you know, cross between Miami Vice and something else and something else. I can't remember what you, how you described it. But yeah, so that kind of takes, takes you out of the moment for a second. But now we've got both men in the ring and they're ready for this giant battle. So Ricky gets his own backstage interview. And as usual, that's not his strong point. And we see... What is now a, like, I don't know how to describe it. I guess it's like a mini croc. I'm sure there's a better way of, you know, way of stating what it is that he has. There's a creature called a caiman. Oh, okay. Well, we do have the internet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to that. So he, the point is, is that earlier in this sort of feud, when Ricky was coming out to the ring to sort of, you know, challenge J Jake the Snake or sort of, you know, interfere with his matches and things, he was, you know, he had a Komodo dragon, basically. Which I mistakenly thought is what he had at the big event, but then when we watched the big event again, it's like, oh, they, didn't, they had no, they had no animals, no oh, right. reptiles. There's also a, what about iguana? Where where does that fit in? Did he ever have an iguana? Uh, I think he just had the two. I think he had the komodo dragon, and then I think he had this thing that looks like a mini alligator, mini crocodile. And in in this part of the promo, the croc has basically its mouth strapped with like you know, the equivalent of Ricky's red headband. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that thing will bite. I guess so. Yeah. So you gotta, 
you gotta watch. So basically, you know, Ricky's keeps it short, and they're here to teach Jake and his snake a lesson. And so now, as I said, out comes Steamboat with his bag, and the action starts pretty quick. Like, there isn't a lot of dilly-dallying. This flashback to previous interviews sort of goes over top of what, you know, what might be a little bit of a delay to the start of the match. So they're they're locking up Did right away. Did you notice uh, Jake's colors? I don't. I'm trying to think back. I just watched it, like, last night. So I, he had dark, long trunks on. I don't quite remember. I think they were greenish. Like, maybe they weren't quite dark, but... It was, he would always mix it up. It, yeah. Just, you know, for... Since we're here, Jake would wear long pants, and he would have a snake always twisting up and around yeah, his leg. Yeah, for sure. You know, so he um, they leaned in with his gimmick on his right. ring attire, and he would always mix up the colors. So I thought it was so cool that, fuck, I am such a loser. My grad outfit, I had them <laughs> sew a golden snake on my tuxedo pants. And I, I just did this goofy fucking stoner psychedelic voyager grad outfit. People made fun of me, but hey, man, I marched to my own drum, and so my grad outfit had a golden snake and a tribute to Jake the Snake. Grant and Kenny, in my year of graduating, they had sort of, you know, what you would call sort of themed costume-type tuxedos. They didn't have, like, Grant was more like an undertaker, and Kenny was more like a, I don't know, 1940s Hollywood kind of dance, kind of tuxedo or something. Yeah, I saw some, some, they didn't look like they were going for the, we want to be magazine model tuxes. No, 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 exactly. You're right, he did have, you know, he did have a variety of different tights that Black he would wear silver, that he, would he, he traded in his mid-south and other area the, the baggy hospital pants, hospital the pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the themed the theme trunks the theme tights so they get right into it right away what is they, a gurney anyway a gurney that's the yeah. thing you like carry people on okay so the gurney haulers and they're yeah yeah yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> it goes up and down like what it can extend like a uh, scissor wheels right yeah yeah so they quickly so i'm just gonna say this We've seen a lot of matches between Jake and we've reviewed several matches over the last several months of this, you know, programming. And I think the thing they do a good job of this particular match on this card in lieu of in light of all of these previous matches is they kind of change it up enough that it doesn't feel like we're just watching, you know. The match from Boston or Philly, you know, I'm not rewound. bored of it yet. No way. <laughs> Certainly not. fantastic. <laughs> lucky Jake. I mean, like he goes, his first feud is on fire. Yeah. I mean, not yeah. lucky. He deserves it. Exactly. Yeah. They, they found the best use for him to get him in there right away. So these, uh, you know, combatants lock up and Jake controls a wrist and winds the arm. But Steamboat quickly reverses that arm ringer and nails a big chop. <laughs> like you said, you can see the sweat. Those chops always bring the sweat right off the body. So that's pretty cool. So Ricky takes that risk again, and he definitely ducks the right hand. It's pretty it's awesome. He's holding onto the one wrist, and Jake takes this big swing, and Ricky Steamboat just ducks right underneath it <laughs> and lets go of that arm and chop again. So Jake's getting like, you know, his chest is taking a beating like early in the match. Then Steamboat locks out that arm really early on in the match for this. He's got that wrist lock and control, locks it out, and he lifts Jake just like the Davy Boy Brutus spot, and flips him straight over his head, slams him over to the mat, and goes for a two count right off the bat. And as soon as they stand up, immediate arm drag and arm control again. So Steamboat's coming out. As often happens in a match, the baby face is taking control, basically dictating the pace in terms of how this match is going to go. And it's neat. Steamboat uses this position. He grabs a handful of hair, and he starts dragging Jake face first over to that bag. <laughs> he wants Jake the Snake to see that dragon. Oh. And Jake looks quite worried, and he's very distracted by it. You can see he's not even looking at Ricky. He's like, you know, he's, he's looking at the bag. He doesn't want anything to do with that bag. So he's quite preoccupied. So once he gets to his feet, Jake starts tapping around with his free hand and finds a way to land a body blow to get, you know, Ricky to let go of that arm and a whip. There's a whip to the ropes, but a reversal leads to Dragon Leapfrog. 
And then Steamboat catches Jake, charging in, and I don't know how what to call it. He basically throws him in the air. Two hands just catches Jake coming in like on the torso and basically throws him up like he's a toddler. <laughs> and then Jake comes crashing down like a flat face smashing bump. <laughs> Wiley Coyote at the bottom of the canyon. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, just basically like almost like Ricky Steamboat's doing a push-up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen much bigger wrestlers do something that looks like this, like a Vader or something. But for somebody like Ricky Steamboat to do this, it kind of- shorter you know, man. Exactly. But clearly the stronger man. Yes, absolutely. McMahon says that that could crack a rib. And that's where Jesse points out that that's why you don't want to eat before you wrestle, McMahon. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yep. So Jake slithers out of the ring to regroup, but Steamboat follows him. He's all over him. And Jake rolls back in the ring with Ricky right on his tail and so close that he doesn't have time for the sneak attack. He just has to keep retreating. So Jake runs to the opposite ropes and bounces off them. And Ricky does a drop down. And Jake, Jake does the overtop and comes back the other way. And another arm drag. Bang. Jake just can't get any traction yet. Ricky's just totally controlling this. So with his arm trapped, Jake decides to slide to see what's going on. He's on his butt and he slides towards that dragon bag, the mystery bag, and he starts poking it with his foot. And after two or three pokes, the bag really starts moving. <laughs> and then Jake just scoots away. He's really scared oh, of it. Uh, yeah, that's wild because like, what's, I, I, since you're reviewing this match, I didn't watch it again. Yeah. But since I watched it like 50 times as a yeah, kid, I'm yeah. like, oh, I remember, I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Poke, poke, poke. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. So yeah, it looks so worried. So Jake's looking for a way to get out of the arm. It's funny. He's he's tapping around on Ricky's two arms that are locking his arm. And then eventually he decides like, well, I have a free hand. You have a face. <laughs> just like eye, eye gouge. <laughs> like not even eye gouge, but more of an eye, eye strike. Strikes him to the eyes. He whips Ricky to the corner. There's not a lot of distance here. And he tries to follow it up. But Ricky evades his attacker, leaving Jake to crash to the corner. <laughs> and he collapses backwards to the mat. And from this position, that allows Steamboat to hook those legs and slingshot Jake into the turnbuckle. And he really takes the face smasher right on the turnbuckle. And he starts slowly falling backwards. And on his way down, he's treated to a chop to the head. <laughs> it's like, so he's getting battered. He's just getting like, you know, he's at this point, he looks pretty beat up. Like there hasn't been a lot of ton of moves, you know, that big throw in the air, lots of arm drags, you know, strikes. But definitely he hasn't, uh, he hasn't damaged Ricky at all. And he's, he's not doing well. Jake is taking the punishment and not dishing it That's out. That's right. This is this is the revenge from the previous Saturday Night's Main event. And again, that idea of people who didn't see all this other stuff that happened in the summer and all these other matches and the big event, this may be their first idea that they think this is the first time that the dragon's ever gotten his hands on the snake. So Steamboat heads to the top rope with Jake prone on the mat. And Jesse warns that it might be a bit too early. So as Ricky rises up and shows signals to the crowd that he's going to come off, he leaps with a huge body splash but he meets the knees that are just crushing into his midsection and flipping him over. So this is the funny part. Both men are down and out. And they both decide that they're going to crawl to their corner for their bags. Yep. <laughs> and I, I remember watching going like, and then what? <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you doing? So Jake looks over his shoulder, his shoulder checks like he's driving and realizes that Steamboat's also going for the bag and he doesn't want that. So he gets up and he scurries across the ring and he jumps on Ricky's back to stop him and, you know, grabs him, brings him up to his feet and delivers the stomach breaker. <laughs> The crowd is chanting for Steamboat as Jake starts to land his punches, one after the other. And Steamboat starts doing that dead leg selling as he's going around the ring and collapsing into the rope. So he's got that one leg that he's just dragging along as if it's, you know, no longer, no longer active. It's quite funny. So there we go. Jake nails the Georgia whip without a twist. (laughs) (laughs) And Steamboat's on the ground now. He looks like the guy passed out of the bar, like he's sitting up with his eyes closed. (laughs) Georgia whip is just, of course, followed up by a short arm clothesline. Yes, of course. (laughs) So this is another two count. And at this point, Jesse had made a complaint earlier. McMahon starts to concede to Jesse that maybe 
it is a bit of a slow count when Jake's trying to pin Ricky Steamboat. You know, the, the ref was a little bit slow there. So Jake scoops up Ricky, and he just, again, I love his Jake's Robert scoop slam. It's so awesome. He just had bad intentions and nails him down. And he follows up with a series of knees to the ribs, really vicious, and he continues to soften up that area. And then he drives that knee into the ribs, and he's pulling on his hair. Just, oh, it looks so rough. And at this point, Jesse's, like, really wanting Jake to use that headband. <laughs> he's like, grab that headband. <laughs> It's really funny. So Jake switches just to a blatant choke, and the ref's trying to get him off. So at this point, Jake stands up, and he and he waves for Ricky to get up. He wants his, you know, he wants to just torment him. He wants to torture him. So Ricky gets up and just weakly punches Jake in the stomach, and does nothing. So Jake just gives him a really rude slap to the face. But then Steamboat fires up with a big chop, and Jake doesn't like that. So he bounces off the ropes, and he lands a kick to the stomach, and then he gives him what becomes one of his signature moves, just this huge knee lift. Just floors the dragon, just really nails him. Oddly, though, the momentum from this knee lift spins Ricky on the mat and then back up to his feet, back to his dead, dead leg selling. <laughs> so he's like this, like, zombie or something, you know, like, getting bashed around. It's really funny. So Jake waits patiently for Ricky to turn around to land this huge right hand to the jaw. Just really pops him. And Ricky almost falls out of the ring. And Jake brings him back in and uses a snap mare and goes for the two count. And this time, McMahon comments without even being prompted that it's a, it's a slow count. The, the ref is being very inconsistent with his count. Let's call it. At this point, I noticed that the ref looks like he's wearing someone else's shirt. It completely doesn't fit him. His bow tie's on crooked. He, he looks very disheveled. He's got this really weird bowl cut haircut. I can't remember seeing this ref before. I'm sure I'll be wrong in that he's been on every card ever. But yeah, he's, he's, he's not one of our classics. So while Jake shows some frustration, this is really neat. They're both laying on their stomach and Jake's kind of like looking around like, what do I got to do? And then Ricky gives him the eye poke. Like from the ground, it's really awesome. He just he reaches over and he pokes Jake in the eye. The faciest face of all the, the faces. faciest face of faces with the cheating, and then he takes the back of his head by the hair and he rams his face into the ground. But Jake is still in better shape, so he rises first and catches Steamboat with a front atomic ball crushing drop. Yikes! <laughs> and that never looks good. McMahon lifts with the oh my. Jake slowly follows Ricky to the ropes, tires whip him, and here we go, going home. There's an attempted left arm clothesline, and Steamboat avoids it by ducking under and then swinging his legs up over to his other arms. So he's trapped him into that crucifix position. And Jake, like a teetering building or tree that's about to go down, is fighting this. Like it's there's a there's it's not immediate. There's a one, two. He's hanging on, hanging on with with Ricky pulling on him, and eventually he goes over into the pin position. And the one, two, really fast three. <laughs> So Ricky Steamboat wins with a fast count. And that's where Jesse just loses his mind. He's so upset about this inconsistent count. And as the dragon, who looks battered and beaten, attempts to celebrate by raising his arms in the ring, Jake is back immediately because he's still in better better shape than Ricky is. And he nails him in the back with a knee and Ricky's headband goes flying. So it's just this great visual of like, you know, it looks really desperate. And that drives him out of the ring to the outside. Jake follows him outside. Now, there's blue mats this time, so there won't be any, uh, he's going to have to do some work if he wants to drop Ricky's face on the, on the concrete. But what he does do is he picks Steamboat up and he rams his lower back into the, the post on the outside. And then when it's already there, he keeps kind of like just, just holding him in position and kind of almost body checking him like while he's holding him up there. And Ricky's really selling it with his face. He's in a lot of pain. So Jake throws him back into the ring. And this is where he goes to get Damien because it's time to let the snake have its fun. 
And the camera chooses to, they frame it so that you can only see Jake in his corner. It's very, you know, very purposeful here. We can only see Jake in his corner, and he's taking his time. But in the front row, there's a couple, a young woman and man, and they're giving everything away. <laughs> there's this, this woman in the crowd, and she's pointing, obviously, in Ricky Steamboat's direction, and just cheering, like, so happy, so excited. And her boyfriend's clearly cheering for Jake. <laughs> so it's like these, you know, these two people together, and he, he's trying to put her arms down. He doesn't want her to, like, cheer for, <laughs> he doesn't want her to cheer for Ricky. So Jake slowly turns around with Damien. And he goes to take a step forward and then he stops and he hesitates. And Jesse and McMahon are commentating as if they can't see in the ring. <laughs> like as if the only thing they can see is what the camera's looking at. Because they don't realize what, you know, what we're gonna see, which is when they switch the camera angle, it's behind Ricky Steamboat and he's just getting up off his knees with his dragon. <laughs> so yes. there's a moment where the two reptiles are face to face and then they charge. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what that's going to do. <laughs> and luckily they don't go too far with this. Jake just basically falls backwards and lets go of Damien and gets out of the ring. And Ricky Steamboat gets to celebrate with his crocodile. Victorious. <laughs> Victorious. <Lundragon>. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But yeah, that couple in the front row was really... Added. So here we go. We got the, the baby croc, the new addition to the WAF Zoo, which is expanding, ever expanding in 1986. Uh, yeah. They're just really stunned. Okay, yeah. And then we go to commercial, and we're going to come back, and Hulk's going to be with Gene. So he's just had a shower, a chance to uh, refresh, and me and Gene asks him about the transpirings of the evening. So he basically says, you know, Orndorff, I'm not done with you, and Piper, stay out of my face. I don't trust that dude. <laughs> And he has, of course, choice words for Adrian Adonis as well. <laughs> yeah, they keep it short. It is such a funny look, though, like to see like Mean Gene interviewing Hogan. I know you see him in his trunks, which is essentially underwear, but I mean, like just to see him in a towel, <laughs> it just seems like so, I guess it's kind of like the sauna thing in a way. It's like sort of, you know, takes you out of it, like takes you into a different, different idea of like where, where is this interview taking place? Now we're going to take you to pre-recorded interview with our man Jesse. And there's a limo pulling up and Jesse's greeting these uh, visitors. Jesse the Body's always impressed with the limousine and <laughs> Slick and the Iron Sheik pile out of it. No Nikolai Volkov, I'm afraid. That's okay, because after all, I have the next heavyweight champion of the world, Jesse. Um, yeah, Slick is definitely, now that I think about it, it's a, that's a bit like my Dusty. So, hmm, I'm going to have to find a way to get these two, <laughs> distinguish these two. Jesse points out that they're going to have a substitute, Pedro Morales, instead of Roddy Piper. And Slick says, don't worry about that. Versatility. We've got that. And Jesse asks the Sheik if he's ready. He says, Jesse, the buddy, you know your Sheik always was ready. I'm still am ready. Camera my zoom. <laughs> And that's a one fun little promo. Oh my god, that is the the, the like sort of the the classic penultimate like cheek uh, promo is that one. That's the one yeah. I remember the best. You know, because yeah. it has everything. It's got the cameraman zoom, but like the the you know. You're cheeky or, you know, yeah. like the first time I kind of heard him say that maybe, let's say. And uh, yeah, it's just so much fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. And we've got two two former world champions about to collide here. And Pedro Morales making his Saturday Night's Main Event debut. The Triple Crown. That's right. But what's this? Piper. Piper making his way to the ring with a crutch. And he wants, as he threatened, he's going to do what he wants because he ain't no baby. So he's in the ring and he points at Morales. You! Out! <laughs> Morales says, hey, I got a job to do. I got to do And then Piper winds up the crutch. And he's like, all right, all right. So Morales gets out of there. The Iron Sheik charges. 
Piper has still got his shirt on, but Piper sees him coming, and he gives him the crutch to the gut, but not the part on the floor, the part that goes under your pit. So Piper's... That's right. <laughs> Piper's pit. Anyway, <laughs> Shiki, Shiki gets the crutch to the gut, and then he gets a oh, crazy man. shot across the back. And wow. when you can, later on, you'll see the welts, but yeah, pretty as, much right away. Yeah, right away, I think. And as a kid, I think at the time, knowing what I knew about wrestling, I thought to myself, could they have you know, gimmicked the crutch so that that side that he was going to hit Sheik with had like some sort of like, you know, I don't know, red ink or something, right? Like stamp ink or something. And then that way it it would leave that, that mark for sure. I, you know, I'm just speculating, guessing because it was like, yeah, it, it, how did it break otherwise? (laughs) How did it not break? I should say if he hit him that hard. Indeed. And the bell rings to start the match. (laughs) (laughs) Piper breaks his crutch across the back of the iron sheik. Piper unloads with a flurry of jabs and uppercuts and punches. Iron Sheik's taking all those, but uh, Slick needs some attention. He's a tall guy. He's That's waving right. his arms. He's doing everything. Jumping jacks just to get Piper's attention. So Piper <laughs> does kind of like, I'm a big scary bear! You know, where you put your arms at the top and you kind of just yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. puff yourself out and that frightens Slick out of the ring. It allows the Iron Sheik to take advantage of the fact that Piper's back is turned and he gets in there, hits him and starts ripping up his shirt and starts choking Piper with the <laughs> shreds of his T-shirt. Whatever. The Iron Sheik starts punching and kicking, including going after his injured of leg. Of course, yeah. And then he sets him up for a big vertical suplex. He gets him way high up, but Piper doesn't go over and take the bump. He kind of wiggles and twitches, and he ends up going back where he came from. But instead of just back to his feet, he sets up a small package Yep. and gets the one, two, Three with a handful of tights and McMahon's. I did. I saw it. Yes, he did. But it's an incredibly quick victory for Roddy Piper, and uh, so much for Iron Sheik's rematch of, with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, bad. exactly. Yeah. Poor Slick. That yeah. was a quick dream. Yeah. If Nikolai gets this Iron Sheik event match, you know maybe she could have, but uh, he didn't. <laughs> and then Jesse the Bodies. Hey, I'm one. That makes me wonder if Piper's truly injured, or yeah, if he right. just wants to bring a weapon to the ring. Alag. Cowboy Bob Orton and his cast. <laughs> That's right. So it's what he knows. This is how he does it. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So it's a he quick win for Roddy Piper. didn't say he was a good guy. <laughs> no, he's not claiming to be a good guy. And the That's crowd's awesome. crazy for him. Yeah, they're just really hot for Piper. That's right. Yeah, they, I, they're they as hot as they can be. And we, again, we've had an episode that hasn't been released where we talked about sort of who the popular baby faces were in 86 and, you know, what JYD's standing and how Andre's in and out. So, like, JYD's sort of your perennial top baby face, 84, top, second from the top to Hogan, of course. So, Hogan's the top. JYD's kind of that number two for, like, 84, 85, 86. If Andre's around, it's kind of Andre bumps JYD down a notch, but Andre's not always around. But then here in 86 is where we started to talk about, like, by the fall of 86, Jesus, you know, it's it's hard to say it's not Piper. And then shortly after that, it's hard to say it's not Steamboat. So JYD, and here, speaking of that, he broke his streak. We got no JYD on this card. Yeah, that's right. No JYD. <laughs> End of an era. Hogan should have brought him to the ring to handle Enon. <laughs> yeah. Take care of that Adonis. <laughs> Well, it, I guess, you know, he was always lacking. He, he, it was a feud with heart, really, as opposed yeah, to any right. one particular wrestler. That's right, yeah. That JYD had. Yeah, going. for sure. Okay, so we have what in my memory is a big part of my wrestling, you know, childhood. And that's a title defense of the British Bulldogs against the team they beat at WrestleMania 2, the Dream Team. And it's a best two out of three falls. 
which Jesse is not going to like, I'll warn you. <laughs> he does not stop talking about it, but that's the rules and they're set up. And really, and I tried to talk about this before, that when you looked at the wrestling access that we had here in Winnipeg and just my personal access, if you look at the time leading up to the Bulldogs becoming champions and then their title defenses, their, their time as champions, there's literally only a handful of matches that I had access to to watch during this time period. So there's the pre-WrestleMania 2 Dream Team match, which I only got to see the one time. It's such an amazing match, but didn't get to see it again until I was an adult, like much older adult. There is WrestleMania 2 itself, which is great. There's the Sheik Volkov abomination on the this, the May main event. And then there's this match. Besides that, Coliseum Video has the best of the British Bulldogs, which has some matches. We have our Stud and Bundy. You know, we have some singles matches against Dream Team and Heart Foundation. Uh, a couple of other things in there. The Moondogs match, let's say. That's more of a jobber match. Then you have, like, that's it. Like, they have their squash matches. So really, in this entire time... This is all I got. <laughs> and I did and I couldn't rewatch that pre-WrestleMania 2 match over and over again because I didn't tape it. And it didn't come out on any of the Coliseum videos. It didn't come out on any of the best of the WWF. Oh, I think no. the best of the WWF also had a really awesome Heart Foundation, a couple of Heart Foundation, like early ones, like 85, like pre pre-titles before the Bulldogs were the champs. So really I'm talking like less than 10 matches for for several years that I'm watching. It's my favorite guys, and this is all I can watch. So this match, <laughs> I watched over and over and over again. But I saw it again, you know, this last week and, and again this week for the first time in, you know, 30 plus years or whatever, 20 plus years. And, you know, I did see some things different about it. And I remember it a little bit differently now than I, you know, maybe, maybe then. So, but here we go. It's a, it's a huge part of this show and it's, it is, it is a good match. So we get Gene with the dream team. And it's great, Johnny V. Off the bat is, I knew you were in on it, baby. <laughs> He's blaming Mean Gene. In for on the- what, Johnny V? <laughs> That's right. The conspiracy at WrestleMania 2. <laughs> it's great. And of course, in the footage, if you watch really carefully WrestleMania 2, an unidentified, at least to me, uh, man grabs Beefcake's leg and prevents Beefcake from, you know, breaking up the pin. So, like, I don't know if he's a cameraman. I don't know who he is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know who he is. They do at one point, I remember hearing that there was a second ref, but he doesn't look like a ref. He's not wearing a referee outfit. So, I don't think he's a ref, and I don't think a ref would do that if it was a ref so so there is so I, Johnny V has a little bit to like you know there is something to complain about there because if that guy didn't grab Beefcake's leg he could have you know he could have got in there and broke up the pin right this guy came out of the grassy knoll that's right and, you know <laughs> The Johnny V had the magic, you know, Irish whip. If you're out there and you know the story behind that, that dude on the floor who grabbed Beefcake's leg, email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really, really funny little little interview. And then he says, Okerlund, you're either blind or a liar, and I know you're not blind. So uh, then we're going to go, before we get on to this match, we got to go back to Mean Gene. He's in the dressing room with Roddy Piper. It's pretty much the uh, same thing we saw earlier. Piper is belligerent, and now he's... You never know when they recorded these, but it almost looks like they could have recorded this at the same time as the other thing. Yeah, back-to-back. Back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, Piper's just doing his fast-talking, trash-talking the bad everybody he hates, and he dumps a Pepsi over his head, and uh, he just says, you know... All right, back in the locker room with Rowdy. Rowdy Piper, you talk about a 180-degree swing. I know you're still hurting. Rowdy Piper... I'm not hurting. How in the world, against the doctor's advice, can you go out on that ring and meet the Iron Sheik? I do exactly what I want to do. You say I'm insane. I say thank you very much. 
Adrian Adonis, do you think I'm insane? Do you think for one second now you're running around with your dress on and, and your beautiful pectorals that, that look like you had six litters of puppies? You're gonna come run in a ring and you're gonna come run around and mess me up and think for one second that I'm just gonna sit there and take up and not come out there and beat you to a pulp? You think for one second you in all your splendid glory with your pretty little hat on and all those lovely stretch marks, you know, that look like an upstate map of New York, that you're going to sit there and say, huh, took care of Roddy Piper. Listen, I'm a man. You think something, a little something like a knee injury is going to hurt me or stop me, huh? You think that's what I'm made of? You can break my neck. I fight for a living. Just when you carry a big stick, you know, Gene, you don't gotta walk so soft no more, you know. I, I, when you carry a big stick, I'll what? I, I thank you very much, Roddy Piper. In my opinion, you jeopardized your career in meeting the Iron Cheek, but you did get your hand raised. Our congratulations That's on that. That's why I'm Roddy Piper, and you're not. All right, back to you, Vince. Those are not Betty Davis eyes, I can tell you. Let me tell you something, McMahon. Piper's lost it. The man's insane. There's no doubt about it. That's the only way I can account for all the stuff he's pulled here tonight, coming to the aid of champion Hulk Hogan. Give me a break. They've never gotten along. That's like cats and dogs, McMahon. Who is it coming to the aid of the champion? Is simply going after Adrian Adonis. We'll have to go after Morocco and Orton in the future, but right now... I just think it's a really, you know, it's really like, manic and like uh intense and there's just an energy about it like i just remember i remember this fall period with piper so well and i think it was just such a great transition because he doesn't just 100 percent flip and now he's the squeaky clean good guy he's still very much he's like stone cold steve austin well before there was ever a stone cold steve austin in terms of the idea that he's anti-authority and he's not going to really like he's not going to fit into the nice paint by dots or color inside the lines yeah. kind of character he's well there's a lot of fat jokes i'm skipping over because yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah 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 right so yeah there's always this stuff from you know in the 80s in general that we're gonna we're gonna come across where it doesn't yeah. quite fit anymore so we're gonna weave our way around yeah. it and that's better than the gay jokes that's right <laughs> yes <laughs> we're lucky when he strikes gold with stuff yeah. that isn't uh, offensive so you know <laughs> offensive maybe, for a different reason maybe if he could wrestle somebody that you know the insults won't be you know be quite so uh, cringy <laughs> so we see the bulldogs coming out to their entrance and their classic music and they're gonna take us to gene earlier with the bulldogs and it's important to note at this point that Captain Lou Albano is no longer managing them. He's, you know, he's gone. And so the Bulldogs are on their own. So here we don't have Captain Lou to take the promo. So, <laughs> so it's a close-up on the Bulldogs. That's, that's rough. And Dynamite's talking a mile a minute. <laughs> and he doesn't say much, but it's over really quick. And Dynamite basically just threatens World War III. Get ready for the beating of your life. And they cut back to <laughs> the ring. <laughs> and McMahon's like, it's so great. He says, David Boy didn't have much to say. <laughs> Because he didn't say a word. He just had their stone face. That's really funny. Uh, so I really like that. So here we go. Similar to the Ricky and Jake match, this match starts the moment the camera focuses back on the ring. We see Dynamite Kid's already got Greg, Greg Valentine's foot. He's, he's attempted to kick Dynamite and he's caught it. So that's right away. We don't even have a chance for like a show, you know, a stare down, a showdown, any kind of like preamble. It's just right to it. He catches that attempted kick and spins him around for an atomic drop. And Davey from the apron punches him from the outside. And then they ping-pong him with two headbutts, one from each bulldog. And Valentine face-flops seconds into the match. <laughs> he's, he's, already, he's already going down. McMahon mentions at this point that it's a two out of three falls rules. And Jesse gets upset. 
He does not like that. Although he didn't seem to have a problem with it being two out of three falls in the spring <laughs> for the Sheik Volkov match. I'm not sure why he uh, why it's such a big deal here. So Dynamite locks up with Greg in the corner, but Valentine drops to his knees to strike Dynamite Kid's left leg. He hammers it on the side of the knee. And if you watched carefully at the beginning of the match, Dynamite is visibly limping and favoring that left leg before the match even starts. So I think he comes into this match with a bit of an injury, and I think that the whole storyline of the match is to work around that injury. So we'll keep an eye on that. So the hammer is kicking that leg, lays on the chops in the forearms, and Jesse just won't stop complaining that we aren't in Europe. And McMahon says, well, we're in Cleveland. <laughs> okay. Which isn't much of a good answer. So Dynamite Kid's being backed in the corner, starts to fire back with forearms, trading some blows, but Valentine pushes Dynamite Kid into the corner and lifts his leg up over the second rope and attacks the inner thigh. Three straight knee strikes, dropping Dynamite to the mat. And he continues to stomp on him as the ref counts. Beefcake comes in and delivers a nice vertical suplex. In Dynamite, I notice he did this, I believe he did this in that singles match we covered before as well. When he takes that suplex, he makes like a V with his legs. You know, he splits his legs as he's being suplexed, and it just, I don't know, it adds to the visual of it. It makes it, makes it look more devastating <laughs> for some reason. It adds to it. I hadn't noticed. Yeah, there you go. Take a look at it. Uh, Beefcake snaps that leg, and what I mean by that is that he, it's that, Dynamite's on his back, Beefcake has his, his, you know, his heel, his ankle, and then he sticks his own foot into, like, let's say, Dynamite's thigh and hip, and then he does the, I don't know what they call it, but, like, you know, this... Working that hamstring. Yeah, yeah, it's a snapping the leg. I, I can't remember, I'm sure there's a proper term for it that I've forgotten, and uh, someone can correct us on that, but those happen a lot. Yeah. yeah, you can picture it, for sure. It's, it was a common move in the 80s. The uh, the High Flyers love to do it a lot. <laughs> right. For sure. So after that leg snap, though, Dynamite Kid uses that moment to scoot his body towards the corner, and he tags Davy Boy Smith. So we get an early tag here. So we've got good, good, you know, good action, and not just a, you know, straight away, hey, let's beat somebody up for 10 minutes. So Davy Boy comes in, and they lock up and exchange arm ringers. And this quickly leads to their favorite spot, which is Davy Boy lifting Brutus straight into the air by his arm. So Beefcake's just begging after the first one on his knees, and Davy Boy doesn't give him any mercy. He lifts him up again, this time even higher. Just and like he, the uh, Jake Ricky earlier. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Except for these guys, you know, it's it's because of the size of these guys, it's, you know, maybe even more impressive. And this time, Brutus goes all the way down face first on the on the ground. He's looking really, really worn down. So Davy Boy's working the arm, and Brutus gets back up to his feet and does a little wrestling, a little wrestling from the beefer. He does a reversal and gets a hammerlock on Davy Boy. And from here is a spot which we haven't really seen in these matches yet, but it's a common move between the two of them that I remember, which is a hammer lock drop, which means that basically Beefcake lifts Davy Boy up into the air by that trapped arm and then drops him out on and slams him onto his back with his arm trapped underneath. And ooh, oh, that looks very painful. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Poor hammer Beefcake. Lock. Well, no, but it's it's Beefcake delivering the blow. Aha. Uh -huh. So Davy Boy's got his arm trapped and uh -huh. Beefcake lifts him and drops him, gives him a little oh, of his own yeah. medicine of a different style, of course, but, uh, you know. Some, something, something a bit of a bit of payback. Let's call it. Poor Davy Boy. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> so there's a tag to Valentine. Some strutting. Beefcake's got the strut. He's not cutting, <laughs> the, but he's strutting. The, the strutting's coming. That's for sure. The cutting's coming. Or, or the, probably some. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. In the match, the strutting's coming. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's a tag to Valentine who goes to the top rope as Beefcake holds Davy Boy open for this big elbow to the top of his head. And then another follow-up elbow drop leads to the first cover attempt of the match, but of course, no go. A kick out. Valentine winds that arm a couple of times, and Davy Boy starts stunning Greg with these forearms. He just starts looking really battered, but they're close to the corner, so Valentine does a drop toe hold and then reaches out and tags in the beefer. And he, lays, he comes in and lays a couple of shots, and then a big knee left for a two count. 
and he slams Davy Boy back into his own corner and tags Valentine in. The, the heels are doing you know, rapid, quick tags here. Like the Bulldogs have had one tag, they've already had four or five or six tags. It's like, you know, you can sort of see a little bit of the difference here between them right now. So Valentine uh, comes in, but he does a missed elbow drop, and Davy Boy is able to roll out of there and get the tag to Dynamite. So Dynamite, even though he took some damage to his leg earlier, he's back up and ready to go. So he charges in, and these men just start exchanging these heavy blows, kicks, forearms, punches. But eventually one of those Dynamite forearms just completely stuns Valentine. He looks like his bell's just completely rung. And there's a big chop which floors him. So Dynamite limps around to the other side as Valentine gets up, and the commentators are noting the, you know, the injury to Dynamite's leg already here. And he meets Valentine as he stands up with his big headbutt. A couple more forearm shots drop Valentine to his knees. And it's at this point that Dynamite seems like he's waiting for Valentine to do something and Valentine's not doing it. So there's a bit of hesitation. It's almost like that, you know, Hogan waiting too long in the pile driver position waiting for Bobby Heenan to show up with the, uh, you know, the stool. There's a bit of a delay here. But what it comes is a front atomic drop. And now the heels are back in control. So he lifts Dynamite up. That's Greg Valentine for a shoulder breaker. Leads to a two count. And he gives him a whip off the ropes and a clothesline for another two count. There's lots of pin attempts in this match. So Beefcake is tagged in and lays in elbows and forearms. Another two count. Another quick tag back to Valentine, who grabs the leg and drops a headbutt into that lower abdomen. You know, he's working working that bottom part. He's trying to set up his big finisher, right? So Valentine whips Kid into the ropes, but Dynamite lands his running forearm. It's pretty great. Like, before Valentine can really do anything with this whip, you know, Dynamite actually fires back and nails him. And as he uses a headbutt to set up the suplex attempt. So he's got Valentine in position to go for the suplex. But sneaky Valentine, the veteran that he is, he attacks that weak knee before Kid can snap it off. And then there's a single leg takedown into a spinning toe hold, which gets completed into the figure four. And Dynamite's just reeling in pain quite close over to the heel's corner. And then in comes Davy Boy Smith, but Brutus Beefcake cuts him off. Gets the knee in the stomach, throws Davy Boy out of the ring, and the bell rings as Dynamite submits to the figure four. Oh my yeah. god, this is shades. I mean... Not the same. Yeah, not the same because there's a lot of back and forth action, yeah. and they 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 did a lot of damage to the yeah. dream team. But it does also make Valentine and Beefcake look great. It does. It makes them look very credible challengers. I think at this point, thinking back to the May card to this card, I'm thinking like, okay, good guys usually are going to lose the first fall. Like that's kind of the, maybe the shtick. You know, that's the yeah. that's the format. So I wasn't completely worried yet. Although yeah. the limping dynamite had me a little bit worried. You know, I was like, eh, what's going on here? And yeah. So Jesse, he claims, new champions! But McMahon's like, no, 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 no! And the Dream Team are celebrating the ring, and Jesse's just moaning about these, I hate these European Cleveland rules! <laughs> and here we go, where it's going to be a commercial break, and we come back with Gene with an update on Adrian's condition. I do remember, though, at the time, they fooled me. It looked like a real injury, and this yeah. is one of the times that the... Um, because it was, in it's distinct memory, actually, they... Um, they froze the they froze the image of the and and like highlighted it white. I I really believed that Adrian Adonis had had his elbow shattered. Well, you know, I I noticed when I was looking up some matches for our next show that there is a couple of occasions where there's sub for Adrian. Like Adrian misses some matches here, so maybe he did take a bit of a you know maybe it's not as bad as they're gonna say it is, but maybe there's something you know. Well, it was what what I liked about it was that for a minute there. The lines between me believing and not believing were like I, I blurred again because I, yes. you know, I knew it was all make believe, but then I was like, oh shit, he actually bopped him with the crutch. It was a botch, and he's now got a a shattered elbow. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It did it did look pretty? Uh, yeah, it didn't. It we know how they set up chair shots or different things we've seen in wrestling. We know how they protect each other, and this one you couldn't really see. It's like he just baseball swing, you know. He just like fully didn't look like he was holding back. 
And I doubt they had some sort of prop crutch that was that, uh, you know, Yeah, brittle. if he had just tucked his arm a little bit more, he would have taken it into, like, the soft tissues of his back and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Where you meant to. Yeah, turn into it more, like yeah. you said. Yeah, protect himself better. But, uh, yeah. So we come back from commercial, and we find out the rules of this two out of three fall match is that the person, the people who ended the fall have to start the fall. Now, if you flash back and remember our spring main event, the commentators were like, well, why isn't Dynamite starting the second fall after Davey Boy had submitted? You know, it's like, you know, and and Davey Boy kept wrestling. In this case, they don't, you're not allowed to go in as the, you know, you have to. So there's these variations on what two out of three fall rules. And as the WF does over the years, they change the rules all the time. So even within a couple of months, we're seeing different rules on how a two out of three falls match works. So we can see from a wide angle shot that Greg is already stomping on Dynamite Kid again. He's in the corner getting stomped on. Um, he's had no chance to sort of like, you know, mean, you know, work an angle where he can get back to a, to tag in Davy boy right away. So Greg's driving knees into this. Now he's working the right leg. I noticed for the rest of the match, the injured leg is the right leg, but it was clearly the left leg. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And again, I think, I think the dynamite's left leg is actually beaten up. So I think this is a way to protect his left leg and be like, okay, let's do all the moves on the right leg. Oh, okay. And then he can pretend it's the, you know, it's the kind of thing that you don't notice as an audience member. Usually. No. It's only upon multiple, you Watching know, reviewing. Watching Yeah, yeah. Uh, ha. And knowing more about Dynamite's real injuries and things like that. Like, as a kid, I knew there was some kind of injury after WrestleMania 2, but as far as I know, he was 100% healthy, like, you know, come October. You, you don't know he's being held together by glue and tape and whatever else. So Greg's beaten up on that leg, and right away, Greg steps over for the figure four again. He's going for that toe, the toehold, spinning toehold, but Dynamite Kid does this great kickoff and Greg does this awesome face plant. He goes straight across the ring, doesn't use his hands to protect himself at all and just like totally takes this great bump into the mat on his face. But Beefcake comes in and stomps Dynamite Kid and then he turns around he sneaks in a punch on Davy Boy that knocks him down to the apron and also brings in Davy Boy into the ring to distract the ref. And behind the heels double team D- Dynamite, they do the, uh, you know, the double wishbone turkey, <laughs> one on each leg. And they fall away snap. So Dynamite's really taking a beating here. Valentine uses a toehold and what I would call like a fallback. So he does like, he, he kind of gets the, you know, the toehold thing and then he's off to the side and then he, he does like a back bridge falling and this is somehow damaging the leg <laughs> very badly. Yeah. I'm not really sure, but... <laughs> wrestling science, you again, see? <laughs> again, I'm sure this move has a proper name that I used to know, but I don't remember need, what it is we anymore. We need uh, Grilla Monsoon and some Latin. Yeah, that's right. Tell us what's going on here. <laughs> So there's another quick tag to Brutus, more stomps. You know, the shot at Brutus here is that, you know, he has a couple of nice things he does, but for the most part, he's a punch him and stomp him guy. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of moves. He doesn't do a lot of things. So, you know, it's clearly... It's I like his running high. His high, that, I think that's his best move that he has. Like, as far it's not his finisher, but it just, it looks so great. He'll wind up with the sleeper. Yep, that's right. And he does do some good stuff. He did a suplex earlier. I, well, you know, I, I don't want to totally beat on him, but out of these four guys, you know, he's like the weak link as far as like in in ring work and what he what he can do. Yeah. But he looks great. I didn't know it at the time. Oh but... no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't, especially as like a teenager, young young you know older kid, young teenager, whatever. So this is where Beefcake lifts up little tiny dynamite into the the Volkov press slam. <laughs> so he's got the uh, the back of the tights and he's lifting instead of pushing. He's lifting them, and he actually to the point where he's just kind of like balancing dynamite on his head. So he's holding up his trunks and he goes to one hand so he's holding up dynamite with one hand he's using his head in one hand to hold up dynamite yeah and eventually he brings him down and crashes him into this violent backbreaker and gets a two count and then he tags valentine it's funny he actually tags valentine while he's still lying on dynamite kid so like after the kick out he's so close to the corner that he can just reach up and tag valentine while he's still lying on dynamite kid without moving so beefcake's complaining about the count as valentine slams dynamite and sets up a second rope elbow drop 
Can you imagine this? Like, if that's the case, the ref could be counting one, two, while Beefcake has his hand out. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Valentine tags Beefcake while the hand's coming down for the three count. Yeah, but yeah. But Beefcake wouldn't, but then at that point, Beefcake wouldn't be the legal man in the ring. Right, if he was the one getting pinned, like the, re- the reversal of the situation, like if they were super close to the, you know, if the guy getting pinned was in his own corner, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's neat. I don't think I've ever, you know, I'm sure it's happened, but I, it, it's not common. That'd be cool spot any of the the current wrestlers if you're listening looking for spots that'd be a neat that'd be a neat way to end a match is sort of have a guy get confused that he doesn't realize the guy he's pinning is no longer the legal man <laughs> like yeah it's neat i like it Let's instead of kicking out you tag yeah, out you tag out. tag out that pin <laughs> <laughs> so Greg gets up for that second rope elbow drop but he never looks very comfortable up there you know he always wants to kind of like he's like the scared kid on a diving board that's not doesn't really want to dive off the diving board <laughs> so he's holding onto the top rope and leaning out and trying to like you know lower himself down before he lets go which of course leads to a miss big miss bang so he crashes to the mat and dynamite slowly rolls over and gets the hot tag and the crowd fucking explodes as Davy Boy comes in and just starts kicking ass. He comes in, kicked to the gut, leaping headbutt, whipped to the rope, big clothesline. Valentine just takes this huge bump. Beefcake comes in illegally, so Davy Boy, for his, you know, for his trouble, he eats a drop kick. He just nails Beefcake, knocks him out. Another jumping headbutt for Greg. Davy Boy calls for the delayed vertical suplex he's holding him in place, lifts him and holds him forever, letting all that blood drain into, the, into his head or whatever, right, right. <laughs> whatever the purpose of that was, mm. but it looks great, yeah. and smashes him to the mat, and Davy Boy seems at that point to signal for his finisher. He gives a little, you know, little twirl of the finger up in the sky, like, that must be his, that must be the move, but instead, he just, after a little delay, he actually goes for the, the cover, and the commentary's kind of saying, oh, he waited too long, so he, there's a kick out, of course, at two, and then here we go. David Way has a very particular way of picking you up, but he puts you up on his right shoulder, and here comes the power slam. So he backs into his own corner. So now the camera's over Dynamite's shoulder. It's a really great angle. So David comes out with his patented running power slam, just drilling him to the mat. And the ref lunges in for the count, but Davy Boy spots that sneaky, cheaty beefcake coming in to break up the count. So he lunges back up quickly as he's coming in, effortlessly scoops him up onto his fireman's carry, and walks into the corner to tag Dynamite. And the injured Dynamite Kid scales the top ropes and using Beefcake as an extra large ladder step launches off at the top of this huge headbutt. It's really noticeable the difference of the top rope height and the height off of Beefcake's back. Like we're talking like, you know, another foot, another foot and a half or something. It's, you know, it's a big extra step. So we get the one, two, three, and the Bulldogs nail their most iconic finisher and get the big win in Raven and Falls. Awesome. Yep. I really like it because it kind of like both teams look really strong now. Like, yeah, they won with their their figure four, you know, and and the Bulldogs win with the big headbutt smasher. Fantastic. And this is the type of move I know we saw it once before in the uh, one of their non-title matches before WrestleMania two. But for the most part in this era, you didn't get to see the finishers on other premium guys. You know, they would these. This is Saturday morning jobber. You know, that's when you get to see this move. So that's right. It's super rare. Totally. You would get roll-ups yes. and uh, different cradles types, and different packages. types of finishes. Yeah, you know, smashed heads where they're knocked out and they fall on each other or but something. Straight, you know? Yes, taking the finisher clean and going for the pin—that's called putting somebody over. Cause, yeah, you know, it's understood. That's right. Another thing I loved about the way that finish happened is Beefcake's just struggling like mightily to try and get out of this position. You know, grabbing the ropes, flailing his legs, but Davy Boy's just too strong, just holding him there, just chucks him down as soon as the three count happens. It's really awesome. So they go to commercial and come back, 
And the one problem, though, with this finish is that that means Dynamite has to start again. <laughs> and Davey Boy, he hasn't been in there very much, right? Like, it's been, you know, Dynamite's taken almost all the punishment, done most of the wrestling. So now we're back to the third fall. So Beefcake tries to start the fall. It's kind of interesting. Dynamite's in there pointing it like Beefcake, and get him out of here. And the same thing, the commentary saying it, and the ref finally gets him out. So Valentine comes in. And Valentine's sneaky veteran that he is. He doesn't want to go engage with Dynamite. He goes over to a corner, a neutral corner, and basically suckers Dynamite in. So Dynamite slowly comes in to try and lock up. But Valentine's not, not having that. And he goes straight to the leg. And he, so he's kicking and punching his leg before the lockup can even happen. So Vince complains about it. Hammer going right for the injured leg. And this is where Jesse asks, wouldn't you, McMahon? <laughs> and that's so great. McMahon pauses. He goes, well, I'd think about it. <laughs> I really like it. Ah, he's starting to tease that heel turn. That's McMahon. right. Yeah, and McMahon knows how to be a heel. So Valentine's just laying in these like Ronnie Garvin style chops. This open hand just slaps on the chest. You can hear him. Sounds really, really rough. But Dynamite Kid, he's ready. He's firing back with a headbutt. And we start trading blows. And Dynamite Kid starts to get the better of it. And he nails another headbutt. And a chop levels Greg down. And Dynamite Kid also falls down. Like him delivering the chop knocks himself down, you know, because of his bad wheel. But he does get up, he limps into position and cinches it up the suplex position and delivers his iconic snap suplex. Often imitated, never duplicated. Like all the current wrestlers all try and do snap suplexes and you all fail miserably. <laughs> We're going to get our asses kicked. That's right, exactly. Praise, praising the old wrestlers, every new wrestler, poo-poo. Yeah. Oh yeah, legendary wrestling obsession. Hey, a lot of other podcasts out there are a lot ruder and meaner than we are, That's so true. we're pretty nice. That's right. A couple good Canadian boys. That's right. We love everybody. <laughs> so here's the problem, though. It's a really bad move by Dynamite. He's in control now, and he's near his corner and can tag a super fresh Davy boy who's right beside him. But instead, he goes for the falling headbutt and misses. And it's like, he was right there. Why don't you just tag and then drop the falling headbutt? <laughs> and then Davy Boy can come in and, you know, kick his ass. Anyways, so that leads to more punishment on Dynamite. So Greg winds up this huge hammer elbow drop as Dynamite's trying to get up on his knees and his hands, drills him. Then he bounced, hammered, bounces off those ropes, this big winding falling hammered shot. Not quite that clothesline on the ground like it was that one match, but, uh, you know, a more a more normal hammer drop. But it's really neat. The impact sends Dynamite bouncing into the air. Like, I watched it back, and I was like, when he takes the hit, he bounces, like, you know, a couple of feet in the air. It's really neat. Really takes a takes a huge hit. And this is the point where there's a two count, and Jesse gets a note that Adrian has suffered a shattered elbow. And they convince me. That's right. <laughs> and that's where he's day. really he's really had it. Jesse's, like, so... You know, over the top upset. Now, they, this is that era where they do not at all lean into the fact that those guys used to be partners and that they had any kind of relationship. But it's kind of cool because Jesse's heel lobbying here, in some ways, is, is a fan. You can connect it to, like, you know, his actual real life partnership with Adrian back in the day. Yeah. East West connection. So Greg has a front face lock on Dynamite. He's trying to get, he's getting really close to tagging. So Beefcake comes in to distract the ref. So Dayboy gets the tag and comes in and lands a punch, but the ref, of course, forces him out. And the Dream Team just nailed Dynamite with BK coming off the second rope behind the ref's back. And Dynamite Kid just drops like a corpse. <laughs> Valentine rolls him over for the pin and only gets a two count. And afterwards, Greg Valentine pushes the ref. He's looking for a disqualification, I think. He better watch himself. He's, it was a pretty aggressive little Chevy gave the ref there. So there's just more damage again to Dynamite's leg and another spinning toe hold that Dynamite kicks off of. So Valentine does another really good face plant into the corner and reaches up like a dead man, just tags Brutus in from his prone position. But at the same time, Dynamite Kid also slowly crawls to tag Davy Boy in. But it's not a hot tag. Beefcake gets across the ring before Davy Boy can even get in. Gives him a couple of shots and Davy Boy is on the ground getting beaten up. And I was just like, what the fuck? 
like this is the part of the match where I was like, wait a minute, everything was good till this point, and then I'm like, I don't like this. <laughs> so Davey goes down a little bit too easy for my liking. So Brutus is stomping away. He attempts a cover. Davey kicks out at two, and it's not even a strong kick out. So I'm like, oh, geez, why? Well, it looks like he doesn't have much fight in him right now. It doesn't really make sense because he, you know, he hadn't really been in. He took a little bit of damage in the first fall, and then he kicked ass in the second fall. Why is he, you know, why is a couple of kicks enough to take him out so easily? Anyways. These guys can handle Studded Bundy. What That's is, right. Is rubbish? <laughs> so. One of them can handle, well, no, they're both of them at the same time. Both at the same time. <laughs> so Beefcake whips Davey away off the ropes and gives him, just goes for a ride. It's an amazing back body drop. He's really high off of it. Just flies through the air. It's really good. Another two count. And then Brutus just starts blatantly choking Davy Boy in front of the ref as he's counting him. And then Beefcake holds Davy Boy's legs open and does the Valentine move. He drops the headbutt into the abdomen. And there's another whip and a duck for a back body drop, which leads to a Davy Boy sunset flip for a two count. And at this point, McMahon and Jesse argue forever that it was a three count. <laughs> and finally, Jesse wins because the ref's holding up the two fingers to show that it was not a three count. That's it, not Jesse. <laughs> and at this point... The beaver steps on Davy's face and spins like an eye rake. You know, I think you described it once as putting out a cigarette. <laughs> just yeah. like, you know, he just looks pretty rough, though. And then he goads Dynamite Kid in by coming over and shoving him. And then behind the ref's back, Valentine from the apron drapes Davy Boy's neck over the ropes and he drops down, you know, off the apron to the floor, snapping Davy Boy off that top rope. And then Beefcake holds the legs and tags Valentine, who steps on the second rope facing outside and jumps up and delivers a knee drop. Valentine delivers a nice traditional suplex after that for a two count. So Davy Boy's starting to take quite a bit of punishment here. And Beefcake is back in and whips Davy Boy and delivers a devastating high knee, like the great Beefcake high knee. It's not the best one ever, but it's a, it's a good high knee. Looks really good. Dynamite comes in at this point to pull Beefcake off of the pin, pin attempt. And Hammer charges across the ring to nail Dynamite Kid. So basically, at this point, we end up with action in both corners, opposite corners of the ring. So as Hammer and Dynamite Kid are trading blows, Beefcake whips Davy Boy into the opposite corner and charges for another high knee. But the damaged Davy Boy Smith is able to lunge out of the way, leaving nothing but that turnbuckle for Brutus Beefcake. He smashes his knee into the top of the turnbuckle, and Davy Boy locks up the suplex grip. But instead of grabbing the waist on the tights, he hooks his hand on Beefcake's the back of his knee and takes him for the ride. Goes over with the cradle or fisherman suplex. Take your cho your choice or your pick. Mr. Henning's going to call it the perfect plex later on for the bridge. And the one, two, three. Wow. Bulldogs defend their titles. Yes. Of course, I now see it as a perfect plex. Yeah. yeah. But that's after, you know. Yeah, years of. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wow, amazing. So no doubt we love these guys. This is like some of the best stuff. Like it really feels like this kind of action we never got to see on TV at the AWA. Like never yeah. this much awesome no. heel versus face. People going down to finishing maneuvers, you know. Yeah. And clean pins, basically. The, the heel's got a clean submission. The face has got a clean, you know, their their, their most famous awesome yeah, yeah, looking, you sure. know, the extended step. Ladder flying yeah, headbutt. Yeah, and they never came up with a name for it, but it's great. No, yeah. And then this out of nowhere, awesome Davy Boy Perfect Plex. Yeah. I mean, looking back now, I'm a little bit like, I don't like the booking of the third fall, how much damage the Bulldogs take, and how easily Beefcake gets pinned. Because Beefcake doesn't take very much damage in this match at all. And really just missing a knee, you know, missing a knee drop in the corner probably shouldn't be enough to get him pinned. I, like, I love the, the visuals. Great. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like, the move looks awesome. 
but you know, I think they, that's a fair point. Probably a couple little tweaks here and there just would make this perfect. <laughs> so it's really great. The moment the match is over, Johnny V's already in the ring and he's got the ref by the collar and he's threatening to punch him. <laughs> so the Bulldogs are on the outside and the referee's trying to hold hand them their belts, those beautiful silver belts you were talking about. And uh, Greg Valentine's reaching over the ref's shoulder, trying to grab the belts, <laughs> like as if he could just get his hands on them. <laughs> They'll be the champs. <laughs> he who wears the crown is the king. And you can hear the Fink announcing the winners in the background and we go off to commercial and they put up a nice Chiron that you know when they come back it's going to be the Ugandan giant Kamala well, look at that illegally I might have comes into the ring we'd have champions right there well why not I mean why not come in we saw how many times it happened to beat kick and Valentine all four men in the ring at the same time luckily really losing control here that's Davey Boy with Beefcake look at that one two three Can you believe it? The British Bulldogs, I believe, have successfully defended the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship. Well, this puts Valentine and Beefcake in a real predicament because who knows how long it's going to be before they get another the shot at the title. One, and still, World yes. Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. Davy Boy, Dynamite, Bulldogs. victorious. They are the British Bulldogs. What a sensation of victory. Stay tuned because the Ugandan headhunter, Kamala, takes on leaping Lanny Popo when we return. So before the match, we have Mean Jean in the locker room with Kamala, Kimchi, and the Wizard. Yeah. And because it bears doing, Kamala does not look like your average wrestler. This really brings in the whole kind of Roman Colosseum gladiatorial games, you know, like all different warriors of the world and you right, know right. he's like an african tribesman he's got a sort of a jaguar loincloth that he wears over top of his kind of you know black swim trunks or whatever like yeah so, but he's also got all this tribal paint he's got a, some he's got a moon on his belly That's right, yeah it looks almost like they're doing a uh, there's white makeup on his mouth that it doesn't necessarily look like teeth but there's his face has got cool looking makeup and he comes to the ring as well with like a spear and a, a voodoo mask you know a big, scary sometimes a big mask. shield maybe sometimes and, yeah. yeah and he's like 6'6 six, six. he's really big yeah, big guy. guy massive there's some funny outtakes with Kamala because he doesn't <laughs> speak English is the idea he's supposed right. to yeah, be yeah yeah primitive he yeah. doesn't yeah he's a variation on the sort of the George Steele idea of that mm-hmm. he's not quite a normal everyday wrestler and I don't mean to be a jerk but kimchi is one of the most useless gimmicks that i really know of he was always a, a second manager or valet yeah the it, idea that he was like he was controlling kamala but it was like the other manager was wizard or fuji or whoever happened to be the manager of the day yeah was the manager it was weird kimchi is also the name of a spicy pickled cabbage that koreans eat and i don't <laughs> mind i like it too kimchi okay. so you know kimchi is basically in the safari if you might have just said that but he's got a mask i'm, I'm not sure if we yeah um, Okay. Yeah, he's a masked man with like a safari hat or whatever, and then like the what is it? Almost like a beige jumpsuit yeah. or something, or yeah. And what is it? What do you call the like almost like a horse? A riding crop. Riding. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's how he kind of he gives he gives uh, Kamal little whips to kind of keep him. Yeah. Keep in line. And the wizard actually entertained me in this promo because Mean Gene is like, "What does all this mean? These markings, these tribal tattoos and symbols." <laughs> and he, and the wizard goes on a great, "Oh, men of asked in the past, and I would tell you, Mean Gene, <laughs> but then you would have to die a horrible death. Do you really want to know?" And he's like, "No, maybe I don't want to know." And uh, it was great. I thought the wizard was well spoken and and funny. 
yeah, when you yeah. look forward and when you fast forward to WCW and like the faces of fear against Hogan and like the, the wizard characters part of it and Kevin Sullivan and like I think they're kind of like looking back a little bit at some of this stuff and being like okay let's do that let's you know like let's have this sort of mythical He's sort of good talker yeah uh, the wizard was yeah anyway so because uh, I, I had almost forgotten about him altogether. Yeah, I mean he's he's he'd been around for you know a couple of decades before that, and like we talked about, like you know he he was managing Fuji and Tanaka or something back in the day, and right. like, and stuff like that. So yeah, Kamala has always got a kind of a vacant look, like mm-hmm. you know more like an, an you know, kind of like almost innocent. He's not yeah, like yes. evil looking. No, like. no, he's like staring off, like he doesn't know what's going on, and yeah, he's not sure what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> but Mean Gene says, and Kamala, welcome back. So that's what I wanted to bring up. In this era, the WWF was very loath to admit to anybody being from anywhere else and even their own people. Like if somebody came back who was in the WWF, they wouldn't even talk about their previous time in the WWF. So the fact that they like welcome back Kamala, I was actually kind of, I thought that was pretty cool that they were actually acknowledging his, you know, existence. Well, I'll tell you why. Yeah. It's because of that Coliseum video. And like Andre slamming Kamala yeah, in the cage. Yeah. Like you see that three seconds and it kind of like you just get it, 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 your adrenaline pumps just seeing Andre That's slam right. Kamala. Yeah. It's, a, it's a match I didn't know anything about. I never really read about it in the yeah. magazines. But just I saw that. it when I was a kid in one of my Coliseum videos. I haven't seen that match in so long. I don't remember really much about it other than a couple of broad strokes and the, the image like you said that was on Coliseum video for yeah. You know, for just that that clip of Andre slamming Kamala is is very exciting. In with, as they're doing that quick cuts, and you got the other clips, it's just it yeah. all it just makes your blood pump. So uh, that's right. So since they were using Kamala in the Coliseum video opening, that's right. That, that we knew that he'd been there, and <laughs> Andre right. slammed him anyway. So I'm gonna propose that Kamala comes in weighty. If he says welcome back, then aha, he has a history, and what's that history? Right. No less than you know facing Andre in the cage. So this is a heavyweight veteran wrestler yeah. who's headlined. Now, on the other side, we have Danny Pablo, <laughs> the future genius, the current leaper, um, and the current, uh, the current po- poet laureate. <laughs> yep, that's right. Oddly, it was a different program, which is where I found a promo with Killer Cal Resnick. And oddly enough, uh, it's Ken. He, Ken. Sorry. Yeah. Ken Resnick from our AWA days. Very handsome fellow. Minus the mustache. And it's Wrestling Challenge September 28th. Anyway, so I want Corey to see this because I just, I, got, I was amused at this prophetic little, I guess, interview, which pertains to the match we're about to cover because uh, Cal is talking about, Ken. you know, <laughs> Ken. What can I say? I, I love my cat. Redmond. That's right. <laughs> Redmond's getting in here one way or the other. <laughs> Ken Resnick, rather, is talking about a wrestler many people are learning to fear in the World Wrestling Federation. And now I want Corey to watch this clip. <laughs> right on. As you well know, week in and week out here in the World Wrestling Federation, we not only talk about, but to the great stars of the World Wrestling Federation. And one man who is beginning to scare a good number of his opponents, and I'm speaking about none other than Leaping Lanny Poffo. And Lanny, if you will, and by the <laughs> way, you'll notice one big change in new Lanny hairdo. Poffo? But Lanny, I've noticed Fearing they're talking him? to many of the wrestlers. They become a with bit the new perm? edgy and a little leery when they see your name opposite <laughs> oh theirs on the contract. 
because the feeling is one of these days you are just going to burst out and emerge as one of the real superstars of wrestling. Well, thank you very much, Killer Ken. Of course, one of my great assets is my sense of humor, and you have to have one if you want to walk around like this. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, I've been throwing these frisbees for so several goofy. months. More goofy and all of a that. sudden, they're at the souvenir table, and I've been signing them. And what fun we're having. I'm getting to meet all the fans of the World Wrestling cool Federation. I can't wait because to come to your town. This ends up being now, Randy Savage's favorite poem. In my spare time, I've been doing a lot of things. And one of the things I've been doing is Special Olympics. And I wanted to lay, uh, lay it on the fans right now a little poem I, I think, wrote for Special Olympics. It's not a very similar one. It's called the Special Olympics, and there's something about that name that's taking people off the bench and putting them back in the game. No one should ever be denied the chance to grab the center stage or share an honest, open smile with other boys and girls their age for personal satisfaction or just having a little fun. The spirit of competition is the birthright of everyone. It's a very special moment when they pass that torch and run. In the words of Charles Dickens, God bless us, everyone. Well, there's a great deal of truth in that, Lanny. I also have worked with Special Olympics back in the state of Minnesota. Well, he read and it's about as right, rewarding about a charity yeah, yeah. Find okay. because you Yeah, that was uh, Randy Savage's charity cause. But anyway, I just I was watching that, and when he was he was talking about wrestlers, that, you know, that are fearing to be matched against this. I thought he was talking about Kamala. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Ugandan giant, and he mentions Lanny Poffo. It's like, it's like, no one's fearing fighting Lanny Poffo. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I'm good. That's what I wanted to show you. Oh, that's pretty funny. But we have the final match on Saturday night's main event. Our prototypical squash match and, uh, yeah. you know, go home with the weird sketch on Saturday Night Live but, uh, or, or our weaker match on Saturday night's main event. Because people are tuning out, falling asleep. I wasn't. <laughs> no, not me neither. Uh, it's 20 to midnight or maybe quarter to midnight. And yeah, uh, yeah. Kamala and Lanny Poffo are locking up. So we get to the uh, match and Lanny Poffo's already in the ring throwing out his frisbees and McMahon and Jesse are like ask like they don't know what he's doing <laughs> you know spreading poetry and then the bad guys make their way to the ring Lanny Poffo's sporting that curly new puffy poodle perm <laughs> and some blue trunks he his hair is so like looking at this interview we just looked at it make that's a lot better job than the one we see on the show the one on the show shapes kind of oddly i don't know how to describe it but his his hair looks so weird on Saturday's main event compared to even here as a victim of curly hair i have some empathy for Leap and lanny popo so in the ring the the bell does ring they kind of collar and elbow a little bit and Kamala backs Lanny Poffo into the corner and goes for a big chop, but it doesn't look bad. Poffo manages to duck underneath it, and then he does this kind of uh, his back springboard, you know, handstand sort of winds up back on his feet. Kamala, after all these acrobatics, does his own little kind of jump over jump the... Jump in the air or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think of the patented belly slap. Exactly. His own acrobatics. But it's not long before Kamala does land some chops to Lanny's head, and, and he does his own kind of back kick or mule kick. Where That's he's, right, yeah. You know, Lanny's more or less behind him, and he just, you know, doesn't have to stretch his legs too bad. It's a <laughs> nice, relaxed way to kick a guy. Lots of chops, bashes Poffo's head into the turnbuckle. Not a lot of uh, opportunity for Poffo to get any offense in. He uh, gets Poffo in a choke and puts him up in that hanging yeah. sort of where uh, Poffo's a couple feet in the air, or I guess, you know, Eight feet in the air or something like that. Yeah. There are some rather off-color remarks of when Kamala's slapping his belly. I think someone says, he's going to stick him in that boiling pot, I think, Jesse. Some <laughs> cannibal jokes. Poffo has one 
moment, it looks like he's going to be able to get something going because he does evade an attack and dust, ducks under a, a thrust from Kamala. He quickly falls victim. Uh, he throws a couple of punches, but they don't do any good. Yeah. He gets uh, an, an eye rake, and that's the end of Pafo's offense. Pafo goes to the rope. But he gets a chop to the throat. Kamala comes off the ropes for a splash, and we have the three count, mm-hmm. cementing Lanny Poffo's place as a semi-enhancement talent. Yeah, if we weren't sure yet what his trajectory was, this was the coming out party <laughs> to Jubberville. A man many wrestlers are learning to fear when they <laughs> see his name across them. <laughs> For me, I was like watching it right off the bat. I was like, the strategy's wrong. Like, you know, he wasn't, he should have been avoiding Kamala. He was like so quick to want to lock up with him or trade blows. And it's like, no, no, run away. Yeah, it looked good for about eight seconds. <laughs> yeah. It, you knew it was one of those matches. That's the match where you turn it on, especially even as young as you might have been. You're like, you know who's winning this match. There's no question. Okay. So we got the close out of the show. So we're Jesse and Vince, and they talk about how nothing settled with Hogan and Orndorff. And Jesse's complaining bitterly about Heenan's ejection but in police brutality, I say. <laughs> he yes. doesn't like it. And uh, as usual, we head to another commercial. There's this quick in and outs. And they come back and they're signing off, letting us know that we'll next be with you Thanksgiving weekend from Hollywood, California. And Jesse lets you know that that's his town. And they're going to be in his place and he's excited about that. And of course, we get the, the video closing out the show is Hogan's post-match posing but they've dubbed in Real American. And the reason I know this is because I remember Phil Collins. This was, you know, there's no doubt. This this is our, you know, take me home. Like, this is, they didn't play it, but we will. (laughs) So that's the way the show ends. I I think it stands up as, you know, got to be one of the best Iron Man events ever. Maybe when all things are added up and everything and we add it all up, maybe not, but like, it's got to be up there. It's close. There's one thing wrong with this Saturday night's main event. Yeah, something Listen, something I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, what could it be? Yeah. Number one, it's never gonna be without the macho man. Yeah. <laughs> Second rate. Okay, stick with us. We got uh, one last little section and we'll take you home. So there's an arcade game that I really liked. I mean, I thought Exciting Hour was by far better then you know this game oh, absolutely the yeah, graphics right. are so much superior yeah. and but there was a, a clumsier earlier version that you could feed a quarter and then you were a tag team wrestling <laughs> tag team <That's> right. <laughs> and um, and you uh came up against the mad maulers um That's right your the game that i played uh, i can't exactly find it on the internet the way i remember it um but that Probably doesn't mean... <laughs> That's not what it was. <laughs> yeah. Probably means I remember it wrong. Anyway, the thing about this was that uh, you would move your guy around, but when you would lock up with the bad guys, a list would come up and you'd select your move. <laughs> That's right. You were going to read. <laughs> yeah. But the thing for me was that the one that I played, all the wrestling moves were in Japanese writing. <laughs> That's right. You just had to guess. I had to guess. But I mean, you could get yourself familiar with... Um, yeah, you knew which order they were in or something. Yeah. And by length and whatnot, you end up. But the further down the list you went, the more powerful the moves were. Right. So the guys you wrestled, one guy had a red mask on. The other guy had uh, sort of a Terry Gordy. Uh, I used to think he was kind of like an Andre because a lot of moves you would try to do and he would just make a, he wouldn't, you couldn't do them. You couldn't. He's too big. <laughs> yeah, he's too big. But you didn't get to wrestle any other 
bad guys teams. There was only the Mad Maulers. Yeah, fight. it was an interesting game where there was just two sets of teams. There was you, the, like the good guys, versus the heels, and you just wrestled them over and over. You beat them, and then you'd come back and wrestle them again until you got your twenty-five cents worth. That's right. But there was a Nintendo version, you say. Yeah. So, I mean, just to back up for a second, the exciting era when I looked into the history of it years ago, when I first kind of got excited about like, oh, maybe like when I was like, this is, I'm talking a long time ago, almost 20 years ago, when I still had a desktop computer, I tried to get our good friend Rob to hook me up with exciting hour. I was like, maybe he can get the emulator or whatever it's called. And, you know, he tried a bit back then and couldn't, I'm sure now would probably be easier to do. But anyways, I, I couldn't get that exciting hour itch scratched. But when I was looking into it, I was reading some stuff about it and they did talk about, even though it was a completely different company, that exciting hour in many ways was sort of like a bit of a spiritual successor to tag team wrestling which came out about two years earlier in japan and then in the u.s version and again like exciting hour there's a slight variation of names they changed some of the stuff when they brought it to the u.s so the first time i saw tag team wrestling was at our local zeller's mall <laughs> you know i was like there was like one of these things where they had one or maybe two arcade machines right near the entrance you know, it wasn't, it wasn't at a proper arcade or anything. And I never remember seeing it anywhere else. Even when I went to a real arcade, I don't remember seeing it. But it was in that Zeller's for quite a while. And like Jeff said, it wasn't really my favorite game, but of course it was wrestling, so, you know, I had to play it. And then eventually I got the Nintendo version of it, which was very similar and had that same style of the list and everything. And I really love some of the moves. It's really funny when you whip someone off the ropes, there was these, like, drop kicks or, like, flying headbutts you would do. But, like, your character would literally be flying across the screen like Superman, you know, like, just in the air forever. And that, if you were too close to the ropes, you would knock the guy out of the ring. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a funny game. And it was, you know, when I saw Tag Team Wrestling come out for Nintendo, I was sure that Exciting Hour would come out the next year or the year after that. And especially when we got into things like, you know, like better systems like PlayStation. I was like, well, I can't make Exciting Hour. And they never did. And now I think I've seen it listed. If you buy one of those machines, it's like retro games and we have 3000 games and I've seen exciting hour listed, but I've also seen people say like, cool your jets on that stuff. Those things mainly don't work very well. They're really glitchy. They don't have everything they say on them. So sometimes people buy something for one game and then find out it's not even on there. So, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, going back to those video games and how they tied into like our love of wrestling and the fact that there could be back in the primitive days of arcade games, a wrestling game that could, you know, replace for a moment when you had to wait. Seven days to get back to your one hour of TV. <laughs> uh, 25 cents could, you know, fill the gap a little bit. Yeah. Arcade games. Okay, that's going to wrap us up for this week. So looking ahead, we're going to stay on this path. We are on the road to Jeff's favorite match. The November 1986 Saturday night's main event in Hollywood, Gaga Land. So next week will be the setup for that show. We'll find lots of fun stuff to look at. It's a short, pretty short turnaround, kind of like last year where we had that, that Halloween episode came up so quickly after the October episode. We'll be squishing in as much as we can and then getting on to see this match that Jeff has oh, yes. loved his whole life. Legendary match. And we'll see a match where Hulk Hogan submitted, but the referee didn't catch it. <laughs> okay, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. See you next week! Yeah.